turn up the radio because we're back here. Poker Fraud Alert Radio 2015 edition, the very first show of 2015, and we have returned. It's been three weeks. Last time this show was on December 23rd, 2014. Today, January 13th, 2015. Why was I missing? Why was I gone for the past two shows when I was supposed to be here? Well, December 30th was a planned non-show. Just could not make that one. And uh, the next week, January 6th, was not planned. What happened was I got sick. I got a cold. And I decided a while back that if I have a cold, I'm not going to do the show because it's very tough on me. I do a lot of talking. And uh, when you're all congested or if your throat hurts or even if your throat doesn't hurt, you're just congested, it's very, very hard to talk for three or four straight hours. And I found it actually makes it worse as far as my recovery from the cold. So I I just don't do the show with a cold anymore. I'm not completely 100% better, but good enough to do this show today. So I'm happy to be back. And I'll tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes Tuesday night rolls around and I don't feel like doing this show. I kind of wish I didn't have to some weeks. Some weeks I'm totally not into it. Some weeks I'm not looking forward to it. Depends on the week. But this week, because it's been a while, I really looked forward to the show. I was counting the days down to Tuesday for when I would come back here and do this. In fact, I was very disappointed because I looked forward to it last week and could not do it. So I'm glad to be back. Glad to have you listening. And tonight, we're going to have a co-host. At least I hope we will. Let's see if he's around. Uh, he's around. Let's, let's put him on here. Let's put this on here. This. Let's put this person on here. This co-host. If he answers. Ah, uh, here he is. Question, does his mic work? Uh, there you are. Daredevil, hello. Welcome to the very first show of 2015. Now you've been on 100% of all shows this year. <laughs> Todd, it's a pleasure to be back on the fourth best web-based poker content program. Oh, well, now we got to explain this. Yeah, the Bluff Awards, where I encourage you guys to vote for this show as best podcast, best poker podcast, if you thought it deserved it. Well, either there's not enough of you or you're too lazy to vote or you just don't think I deserve it because uh, out of five entrants, five nominees, I didn't say entrants, we didn't enter, but five nominees... We finished as Daredevil just gave away fourth. (laughs) So we didn't come in last, which is good. Now, they made sure to point out on Bluff, just to rub it in, just to make sure sure that people understand that we weren't uh, a very solid fourth. Mm -hmm. They made sure to point out that we finished just 11 votes ahead of last place. So thanks to the 11 of you who separated us from last to fourth, because it would have been kind of embarrassing after last year's complaints on my part that they snubbed me, in fact, double snubbed me. They they snubbed the show, and then they snubbed the show on the snub list. I'm not even kidding. So probably to atone for those sins, and I have a feeling maybe uh, KevMath had some influence on this, uh, we were in the listed shows you could vote for, and we got enough votes to be fourth out of five. And, you know, I I guess as long as there's somebody behind us, I can't feel that bad. I can know that we're not the worst (laughs) poker podcast out there. And and speaking of somebody behind you, uh, you should announce who won. 
Who won? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the winner was actually the expected winner. Uh, Jason, Jason Somerville with his show Run It Up mm-hmm. overwhelmingly won. And people thought that would happen, too. Now, I don't know if it's because it's a great show. I've never heard it. I don't know if it's because it's just uh, got a lot yeah. of publicity. I don't know if it's there's a, like a gay voting block out there that uh, they all vote for him. But whatever it is, uh, J- Jason Somerville, one of the few out gay poker players, and I give him credit for that because there are not many out gay male poker players. So mm-hmm. yeah, it does take some bravery. You know, in uh, everyday life nowadays, uh, there's a lot of people who are out as gay. It's it's not the same as used to be, you know, a few decades ago. But in poker, it's still not fashionable for the most part to be gay. So yeah. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. It's kind of strange too, because I don't think uh, I don't know. I don't think the audience would care. No, yeah, that's the funny thing is, uh, for whatever reason, I think they feel uncomfortable. Maybe because of the trash talk at the table, or I, I'm not sure. I think it's just the environment of the game. For some reason, I, I think. Gay people are afraid to come out, but when they do, there's not a lot of fanfare about it other than, oh, wow, there's not many out gays in poker. But, like, nobody – there isn't much you see of people being attacked for being gay in poker. Like, once they come out, it seems fine. Mm -hmm. So, I – you might as well. You might as well be yourself here. I mean, there's no point to to hide and and uh, stay in the closet in poker. If you're gay, then say I'm gay, and that's fine. I don't I don't care if you're gay at my table. I you know I'd much much rather have a gay guy at my table who sucks than a straight guy who's good. There's no question. So uh, let's okay, Todd. <laughs> you heard it here first. Todd wants a gay guy who sucks. I, yeah. Oh boy. I can't believe I, I I can't believe I made that comment. Jeez. <laughs> Someone's going to take a, a copy of that. That's I want a gay guy that sucks at my table. Yeah. Well, all righty. Kevmath, oh, he's in, uh, he's in the chat. Somebody should ask Kevmath if he was the one responsible for getting Poker Fraud Alert listed among the nominees. All right, so yeah, they're already questioning in the chat about this gay guy that sucks thing. We have a very, very long agenda tonight, uh, which I'll get to shortly. I don't want to take too much time with the introductions that we always do. We do have a tournament tonight. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's at 7.40 p.m. Pacific Time. It's No Limit Hold'em. It's a 50 plus 10 free roll. What I mean by that is you get 50 regular dollars and $10 as a consolation prize if you bubble. And uh, that that $10 will come on black chip poker. So if you get first place, you get $25 cash. Second place, $12. Third place, $8. Fourth place, $5. And again, fifth place, which is the bubble. Uh, Daniel72 has volunteered to send $10 on black chip. Usually we don't award money on poker sites. We just pay cash. But uh, Daniel has offered to give $10 on black chip. So I'm not going to say no. It's generous of him to offer. So uh, contact Daniel72 on the forum to get your $10 if you finish fifth. I will be distributing the other four prizes in cash. You can get them in various ways. PayPal, a bank transfer, a check. I really do prefer PayPal. Cash, and if they're worth anything by the time the show's over, Bitcoin. So that's the... I really pay you any of these ways. I'm not kidding. The money this week did not come from me. It came from Split This, who gave $12. Richard Brody's Comover, who gave $5. An anonymous contributor gave $33. And Daniel72, as I said, gave $10 on Black Ship. It's at 7.40 p.m. Pacific. To qualify for the free money, you need to have a registered account on, is it June? No. I've changed the date. 
You need a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated anytime, anytime at all in 2013 or before. If you have an account dated anytime 2013, anytime 2012, can't be 11, the site didn't exist in 11, but anytime in 2012 or 13, you will qualify for the free money provided the account is in good standing. If you don't have a Poker Fraud Alert form account that was established in 2013 or before, email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me how long you've been listening to the show and tell me some things you've heard on the show that are not in the official show description. If you've been listening for three weeks or more, I will give you an exception now and forever to qualify for the free money. You have to do it before the free roll starts, though, which is about 45 minutes. 25 minutes worth of late registration, too. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. And we, of course, have the Mount Charleston line. Some of you may have seen on my Twitter, I tweeted in late December a picture of me going to visit the Mount Charleston line. I did not show the phone, but I showed the, the setting of where I was with lots of snow. I was on Mount Charleston. That was not a fake Mount Charleston picture. I really was on Mount Charleston. It was not like Mammoth or something. It really was Mount Charleston. That's where I was. And I took my pretty weak cell phone signal, took the picture, and immediately tweeted it. I wanted everyone to know that I was there checking on that phone. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. 1808 is the Mount Charleston line. No matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID or you will not get through. I have an update here regarding the free roll. It's a good update. So, here it comes. Got a message from C Money who told me that if I want, he will contribute 50 extra dollars to tonight's free roll. So yes, C-Money, I would I would want, I would like. That would be great. So that changes everything. Now we have 100 plus 10. And now I've got to figure this out on the fly, but I'm happy to do so. Uh, we'll make it uh, 45 for first. I'm never going to remember this when it comes to distributed. 45 for first. Um, 25 for second. I guess that makes 70. Um... We'll do uh, 15 for third, 10 for fourth, 5 for fifth, and sixth place now will be that black chip poker money. So it will now be 45, 25, 15, 10, 5, and the $10 on black chip for number six. Thank you, C-Money, for that $50. You can also go in our chat room, of course, during the show if you're listening live and you're mainly going to be talking to the other listeners there. I read it sometimes. I can read it a bit more when I have a co-host, as I do tonight. When I'm alone, I hardly read the thing. The best way to get a hold of me during the show, though, is to either call or text. You can text the main phone number of Poker Fraud Alert at any time, before, during, or after the show. 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355. Here's some texts we have received since uh, the show was on three weeks ago. 
How many days do you think the Colossus Tournament will last? This is referring to the Colossus Tournament, the $500 buy-in World Series Tournament. Um, that's a good question. I'm guessing six. Five or six. Six? Wow. Depends how many they get. Uh, this is from uh, the 514. Hi, Todd. My name is, I'm not going to say his name, a listener from Canada. I was wondering if I could talk to you about the DDoS attack on Merge if you're interested. I might have chatted on Facebook with someone who I believe could be responsible. Wow. Not sure if I should have read that on the air, but at least I didn't say his name. <laughs> so, uh, I somehow missed this ch- this text before. I would have, I definitely would have followed this up. But I didn't check the text that carefully during the the downtime. I hope I didn't out this guy as a tattletale. But definitely, if you know, you know, tell me. Uh, let's go on here. This is from the 619. All talk texters need to be eliminated indiscriminately. Talk mm-hmm. texters probably be meaning the people who text by speaking into the phone. Oh, yes, I agree. Yeah. I, I guess it doesn't matter as long as there's no one around them, but it's, it's probably annoying to be by a talk texter. Yeah. That guy was doing that in the restaurant the other night. From the 410, Happy New Year. Are you having a show this week? I'll let you take a guess at that one. That was in late December. All right. Uh, from the 818 area code. That's something else. Never mind. I actually was selling something. I was selling something, and I gave the radio phone number to contact me. I don't trust these shady people on Craigslist. So I guess I could figure out who I am by Googling the radio number. I didn't think that through. <laughs> All right. Um, this is from the 562. Missed the show, bro. Get well soon. Thank you, bro. Not completely well. There has not been a day in 2015 where I have been healthy. Not a single day have I been in full health, but this is the closest I've been today. I'll tell you something else. 2015 has just started off pretty lousy. I've also done poorly playing poker. I I was doing very well playing on Bovada for the final three months of the year, which is pretty much the time I came back there. And did really well. Never had a protracted losing streak there. And then as soon as the new year hit, I started to lose. And <laughs> just as I started to come back the last few days, I lost again last night pretty badly. So this has been tough on me. So that's that's all we've gotten for right now. If you want to text us during the show, 775-372-8355. I will read it on the air unless you ask me not to. Just like I did to that. Poor guy from 514 who's going to go tattle yeah. on the DDoS. Or he's going he's gonna to end up like a, a target of these hackers, too, for tattling on them. I was going to say, if you don't want it read on the air, probably make that the first line. Yeah. Because... Say, do not read this on air. Yeah. Because that's happened before. <laughs> you get to the last line. By the way, don't read this. Oh, at, sure. least I, at least I have a good excuse for creating drama that way. I can, I can play dumb. You know? True. I, I can read these texts that people are not wanting me to really read and say, hey, what? You didn't tell me. I didn't know. It's like I had this crap happen to me. Let me tell you about something. I I played that song "Turn on the Radio," "Turn Up the Radio" from 1984. Okay, let me tell you something that happened to me in 1984. I probably shouldn't tell this story only because we don't have time for it, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. In 1984, I was 12 years old. As you might imagine, at age 12, I did not have a lot of experience with girls, but I liked girls. I just uh, I didn't know when it was gonna happen when I would. Uh, do anything with one, even kiss one. Right. Well, there was a girl in my English class 
who sat next to me that showed a lot of signs of liking me. I won't bother to get into what they were, but uh, a lot of signs. And uh, I, I didn't know how to handle this. I, at first I thought if like, that type of thing happened, it would be great. But when it really did happen, like I was very, very nervous and didn't know what to do. So I let this drag for months and months and, and kind of just avoided dealing with it. Finally, I told my then best friend, who actually plays poker nowadays. He's not a known player, but he actually plays poker nowadays. Uh, not related to me either. But I told my then best friend, I confided in him that I thought that this girl liked me. And I, I felt safe to tell him because he did not go to my school. He went to a private school. I went to a public school. So I felt safe to tell him, but I told him, make sure not to tell anyone. And um, then he told me about a girl at his school that he liked. Well, after a few months, something happened to where he erroneously believed that I had gossiped about him and the girl he liked, which I had not done at all. So to get me back, he happened to know uh, this girl's best friend, which I didn't realize. He went to this girl's best friend, who he knew from somewhere else, and, uh, and told her, about my crush. And I didn't know this, but the girl I was, I liked in my English class started acting really weird toward me. Like she changed from like flirting with me as much as a 12 year old could flirt, uh, to, uh, acting scared of me. So finally, like with days left in the school year, the guy told me what he did. And he said that he's only telling me because he realized somehow, I forgot how he realized he realized I was actually innocent and that he had done done me wrong here basically so he wanted to warn me about what was going on so I was pissed at him obviously so I said alright well let's see if we can get something good out of this you probably heard a reaction you know once her friend told her uh, what did she say and he said oh well she said yeah that she actually did like you I said oh good so she was probably just like nervous about me knowing now so, nice. so I thought okay I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her out 12 year old me was going to go on a date I thought so I said, I, I, I'm too afraid to do this right now. I'm going to wait till September. It was like a few days from the end of the school year. I said, I'm going to wait till the end of September. And, you know, I was in the honors classes there. She was too. I figured, you know, she'll be right back in the same class as I am. And, uh, you know, I'll see her again. On, and I'll ask her out in September. September came and I went to every one of my classes and I did not see her. Now, it's possible she could have been in the other honors class. But I thought, how could that be for every single subject? Well, it wasn't. She moved. She was gone. And, and that was that. There's no more to the story. She was gone. And it took five more years until I, I had any experience with girls after that. So that really screwed me. I, I could have gotten an so early did start. did you learn your lesson, Todd? Uh, I guess. I, uh, Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. Such. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I really blew that one. And, uh, but, but it, it, I don't know why this, this thing with the reading text reminded me of it. I think maybe, maybe because of, uh, you know, it's a confusion over something where something gets revealed that's not supposed to. I guess that's what reminded me of it. But, right. uh, you know, I, I still wonder. I don't think we would have gotten married or anything. That's ridiculous since we were both 12. But uh, And she was moving away in three months. Yeah, and she was moving away in three months. Forgot about so, that. Like, I don't think she could have told her dad, no, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere because, like, I've got a boyfriend. I don't think that would have gone over well. But uh, I, I do wonder, like, would I have had, like, a girlfriend as a 12-year-old? And would this have affected anything after that, but uh, 
I'll never know. And she had a very common name. So it's not even someone I could like look up now and just out of curiosity, I wouldn't even contact her. It'd be really weird. And, and you know, I'm with someone now anyway, but even if, even if I was single, I wouldn't contact her at this point and say, Hey, remember I had a crush on you back in sixth grade, but she's got like a really common name. So there's like no way to look her up even if she hasn't gotten married. But, uh, um, you know, what's really strange though. And I, I don't think I did this intentionally, at least not consciously. But okay. Benjamin's mom actually has a similar look to this first girl that I, I liked. Hmm. A, a very similar look. Obviously much older, but, you know, like a very similar look to her. I, I didn't so realize this to like right now. So your taste hasn't changed? I, I guess. I mean, I guess uh, there must be some type that I'm into here. But uh, All right, so let's uh, let's move on with some real topics here. First, I want to start off by recognizing certain players of our tournament, of our weekly tournament we have, the uh, Poker Fraud Alert No Fraud Online Poker Tournament we have every week, including this week. And Belly Buster, who is the manager of the No Fraud Online Poker Room, who runs it from his computer. He's in England. When you play the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you're not playing out of my secret location. You're actually playing on a server in England that's run by one of our users. But he has... uh, fastidiously kept track of all the results and gave everyone points for the results. He did a very good job here, and even the number of games they played for the Player of the Year leaderboard rankings for 2014. And uh, a listener named I Am Greek donated $35 toward Player of the Year. And, and for whatever reason, and this is I Am Greek's money to distribute, uh, it was more important to him to give uh, money to people who play the most games rather than the people who uh, uh, accumulate the most points. So I guess uh, the way I Am Greek sees it, he wants it to be an A for effort. <laughs> but uh, he, he also is awarding something for the, the most points. But uh, the first two prizes he's giving are for the uh, most games played. So the most games played, the most dedicated player of our free rolls was Flipper Fair, who actually also did very well. So he finished fourth in the leaderboard in points and played 40 times, which is a lot because we didn't have 52 free rolls. There were some weeks where there was no show. I don't know how many right. we had, but it was it was 40-something. So he played 40 of them, pretty dedicated. Cornbread, uh, he actually was both our leader in points with four, 599 and uh, played 38 times. And Snowtrax, who was number six, he played 39 times with 490.82 points. But the the leaders here, I'll give you the top uh, five. I just told you Snowtrax, number six. Cornbread, 599 points, easily winning. Dirty Ernie also did very well, 533.68. Mulva, 511.92. Flipper Fair, 511.12, just a tiny bit behind. And then uh, Ray Bitarcoin, 499.11. That was the top five in points on the leaderboard. So thank you to Belly Buster for keeping track of this, and I'm glad that uh, so many people have, uh, you know, that, that so many people participated here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't so, think I played one free roll last year. Yeah, I don't even know how the points are computed, but but he did a great job keeping track of all this. We have 210 people on the leaderboard. I, I don't know if you get on the leaderboard by playing and not cashing at all, but uh, we have 210 mm-hmm. people on the leaderboard ranging from 10 points all the way up to uh, almost 600. So congrats to Cornbread for having the most points. Congrats to Flipper Fair for playing the 
most number of tournaments, and uh, congrats to Snowtracks for the, playing the second highest number of tournaments. And truthfully, uh, you know, those guys all did well. They didn't just do well because they played a lot, because there's a lot of people who played, you know, 29, 34, 37 that didn't do, you know, as nearly as well as these guys did. So, uh, Congrats to these guys on the leaderboard, and I, I wanted to recognize that because we have people who play these tournaments every single week, or most weeks, and uh, just wanted to mention that. So let's go on with the rest of the agenda. Here's what we're going to do. This is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. This is something you won't read about anywhere else on the web, as far as I know, but I think it's pretty big news. The manager... Of the TI, you know, formerly Treasure Island, it's now called TI. The TI Poker Room has apparently been arrested for stealing money from a pool over there. Not just fired, but arrested. So we'll talk about that. His name is Chris Coffin. He was the former Mirage Poker Room manager who apparently got fired there for unknown reasons in 2013 and mm-hmm. took over uh, Treasure Island's poker room, TI room, which is a small room in uh, 2014 and has, I presume he's been fired, but has been arrested for stealing money out of a football pool. We'll talk about what happened there. And for some reason, nobody's covering this except for us. I was tipped off about this by an employee, given some details, and I'm a little afraid to cover these type of stories without verification, but I was able to verify that he was arrested for, quote, theft between $650 and $3,500 on, like, January 9th. So he was definitely arrested and charged with a felony for theft. So I I have to think i got to believe that person, and the person telling me is very reliable as well. Uh, A card counter, of which I am, by the way, I don't really do it, anymore just because I don't want to be kicked out of the, a lot of the casinos I visit but uh, uh, I enjoyed it. I'll do it every every so often still. Uh, a card counter is suing Caesars for detaining him and getting him arrested from Planet Hollywood. Uh, he was card counting at Planet Hollywood and he ended up being detained and arrested, which is very strange since card counting while against the rules in Nevada is not illegal. So he's suing them. But I think there might be more to the story. We're going to talk about that. Well, I mentioned when I was giving the instructions on how to collect your prize money for winning tonight's free roll that I can pay you in Bitcoin. And I threw in the little quip that I'll pay you provided that Bitcoin is still worth anything by the end of the show. Well, that's not that much of an exaggeration. Bitcoin, which hung around the 300-something range for a long time, after being as high as 1,200 at one point last year, but hung around uh, in the 300-something range for quite some time, as we speak, is currently a whopping $220 per coin. It is crashing hard. Last night at this time, it was around 250. The night before, it was around 275. So it's just going down, 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 down with no end. So we'll talk about why this might be happening and uh, what the future might be for Bitcoin. We can't say for sure what the future will be, but uh, this is definitely a crash. And I think this is the most significant of all the crashes, and I'll explain why. Hmm. Also, I have an interesting anecdote about breakout coin when, when we get okay. to that segment. Okay. 
Well, speaking of Bitcoin, and we'll get to this right after the main Bitcoin segment, the winning poker network is now accepting Bitcoin for deposit, but not... <coughs> sorry about that, my cough's still here. Uh, not yet for withdrawal. Well, Joe Seabach, remember him? He was the stepson of Barry Greenstein. Not not Barry's son. A lot of people think he's his son. He's not. He's the stepson. Uh, Barry is not his natural father, but uh, Barry has been in his life for most of the time. I don't even know if Joe even really knew his real father. It's not important. But uh, Joe broke into the poker scene, had a pretty good reputation, and then he made the big mistake when he ran out of money. He decided it was a smart thing to join, quote, the new UB and be their spokesman. <laughs> and that was the end of his good reputation, to say the least. And uh, boy, did he get a lot of shit for it. Uh, it's his fault, but boy, did he get a lot of shit for it. And he pretty much retreated from poker after that. Uh, last we heard of Joe Seabach, uh, he was crushing hella grapes. I'm not even kidding He was crushing grapes for a living He was working 12 hours a day at a winery Stomping on grapes Uh, This sounds like a joke, it's the truth Uh, But uh, he's not doing that anymore He has a new job that's better than crushing grapes I'll talk about that And uh, you'll hear what Joe Seabach is up to Well the Commerce Casino has a much higher rake Than its Vegas counterparts at the middle and high limits. There's no comparison. In some cases, they're almost double. The one perk to playing at commerce at middle or high limits is that you get free food. And you still get free food right now, but in a month and a half, you won't. Starting March 1st, no more free food at commerce. We'll talk about what's going on there and why they might be doing it. A lot of you saw my appearance on 60 Minutes. If you haven't, go ahead and Google it or, or go on YouTube, actually, and type in Todd Wittella's 60 Minutes, and you'll be able to watch me talking about the online poker scandals, the cheating scandals of UB and Absolute Poker. At the time, some people were very angry at me for making a statement at the end that the sites that are still running that were not involved in the scandal might be corrupt, and people got so angry. How could you say bad things about poker stars? How could you say that Full Tilt is dishonest? (laughs) Uh, You can laugh now, but uh, people were were just lambasting me. I, 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 I was just being torn apart here for daring to say that without regulation, we don't know what any of the sites are doing, even the trusted ones. And indeed, it turned out Full Tilt was corrupt. But that's not the reason I'm bringing this up. Steve Croft was the guy who interviewed me. Steve Croft uh, is a regular on 60 Minutes. He was pretty well-respected. And he was the one who interviewed me and Michael Josem about the matter. Steve Croft is now in some hot water. The guy who interviewed me about UB on 60 Minutes, watched by 18 million people, is involved in a pretty embarrassing sex scandal. Yep. Talk about what happened there. Well, I'm a limit hold'em player. I play a good deal of heads up. I prefer six max games over heads up, but I play heads up too. I'm always afraid I might be playing a bot. It's a lot easier to write a poker bot, an automated program for limit hold'em that it is for no limit, just a much easily 
computationally solvable game. Doesn't mean it's an easier game for humans to play, but it's an easier game for machines to play. The University of Alberta claims, and this has gotten a lot of press even outside the poker world, to have created a poker bot that plays perfect limit hold'em, that is unbeatable. I will give you my opinion on whether that's possible, and I'll give you a reason that you might want to doubt the University of Alberta and their claims. And no, dear devil, it's not because they're Canadian. I hope not. It's not. I'm not going to bash Canadians here. All right, so... uh, this is something that uh, is being done at the EPT, and I think it's it's a good topic to kick around here. And that is post-liminary events. Now, what is a post-liminary event? I don't even know if that's a real word, post-liminary. Instead of preliminary, post-liminary. But a, a, a post-liminary event is an event that takes place after the main event. They used to do this at the World Series. Mm-hmm. After the main event, they would have real bracelet events, just like all the yep. others, after the World Series for people who busted from the main that still wanted to play. My best finish ever at a World Series of Poker No Limit Hold'em event was in a post-liminary event. In 2006, I finished fourth. Most people don't even know that. Most people don't even remember that happened. But it's true. I came within three people of winning a No Limit Hold'em bracelet in uh, 2006 at one of these post-liminary events. Uh, but they don't have them anymore. They did away with them for whatever reason. But Daniel Negreanu was saying that he thinks these are a good idea. They do them at the EPT. He thinks they should be brought back. I will tell you what I think of these post-liminary events. Are, are they, is it stupid to have these after the main event? Is it anticlimactic, or is it a good thing? Well, a merging of player pools is happening in the legalized poker realm. In New Jersey, WSOP.com and 888.com are going to be sharing player pools to some degree. Not all player pools, but uh, parts of their player pools are going to be shared in New Jersey. We'll talk about what's going on there. A very interesting report was released. This is a separate topic, by the way. That by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement on the first year of online gaming in New Jersey. When I, when I heard about this, oh, they're, re- you know, they're releasing a report. I said, this is going to be boring. But then I read it, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know this, I didn't know that. It was actually a very interesting read. I'm going to share the interesting parts of it with you. And uh, it's kind of eye-opening in some ways. Well, I like playing the Poker Stars propaganda videos out here and getting a good laugh out of them. Another one has been released about the Data Center. Remember the Data Center? Oh, yes. The Data Center. It has a whole video dedicated to it. The Data Center. We're not going to there, were, there were lasers, right? It's got lasers and many other things that mm-hmm. blow your mind. And it, it's, it's so amazing that we're actually doing a whole piece on it rather than just a, a small part of the video. So we'll play about the data center at PokerStars. Uh, PokerStars has reversed their course on their rake increases. They've rolled them back just about completely to the old rake that they used to charge, which was lower. We'll talk about why that might have happened. PokerStars has a thing that they can crow about recently. There are spin-and-go tournaments, which are definitely not a good thing for poker grinders. Got some nice publicity because a filthy Russian won a large sum of money. He entered a spin-and-go, which is like a sit-and-go tournament, for $5.00. 
And how much did he win? Zero point oh, zero. God. No, that's not what he won. He won. One million dollars. I'm not kidding. Five dollar spin and go. He won a million bucks. A Russian guy. With a really weird screen name, like something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, he, he won a million dollars, and uh, Poker Stars is uh, obviously making a big deal over that to try to get more people playing. And uh, I mean, it was a, a genius idea on their part. It's just not good for professional poker players. I felt I would mention Gobble Boy has a new blog called Jimmy Eats Vegas. <laughs> That's the real name of the blog, and it really is uh, about a fat guy eating in Vegas. It, it, that's what it is. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you a bit about that, and he showed up on Poker Fraud Alert to talk about it a bit. There's a very misleading ad in the UK. There was for the online casino called Unibet, but uh, I have to give the United Kingdom credit. They said, uh-uh, we're not letting you run that ad anymore, and uh, made them stop running it. There was basically a fake free bet that was being advertised by Unibet. And UK said, no way. So I would stay away from Unibet. I'm going to tell you what they pulled. Finally, if we have time, which I think there's a good chance we won't, uh, I I want to criticize the hacker group Anonymous. I'm an old uh, 1980s phone and computer hacker myself. Uh, I think Anonymous is embarrassing itself with its recent actions, but I probably will have to talk about this next week because... We've got 17 topics total, and we've only covered one. Wow. Yeah. This is the, the most topics we've ever had, though the show was gone for two weeks. That's part of it. Right. So, okay. Uh, let me take a quick look at the chat room before I get going here. Uh, Real Talk says, Druff killed online poker. That's not very nice. Uh, $5 says, I have done shots out of a stripper's snatch. That's also not very nice. Uh JSTAT says the WSOP main event used to be rake-free. That must have been a long time ago, but I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, JSTAT also says, Binion wanted to hire me as a crap stealer in 1980. Good guy. And uh, Flipper Fair says the agenda should be five minutes long, not 45 minutes long. I guess that's true. If uh, the show started right around like 6.40 and it's 7.24 right now, that's – boy, that, I mean we have almost Covered an hour – one topic out of 17. So. We, we almost have like an hour-long show about what we're going to talk about. That's uh, that's pretty crazy. But you, you know the show's getting over long if you're taking an hour to talk about what you're going to talk about. Maybe I should have like a pre-agenda where I, I discuss what I'm going to discuss on the agenda. I, I discuss what the list of the agenda, and then actually list it later. Okay. I think that should be a separate show. <laughs> All righty. So uh, the free roll starts in uh, sixteen minutes, and uh, let's let's get to the first topic about the theft that occurred, allegedly. But I think we can say it probably occurred because uh, the guy really has been arrested for theft, and I can verify that. I'm kind the of documents I'm, are on the in the threat, right? Yeah, I'm kind of gun shy about this because of the whole thing that happened last year, but right around this time of year too, about the that palms. guy. Yeah, the palms yeah. thing where I got part of it right but part of it wrong, and then you know yeah. I looked bad and Mason Malmuth banned me, and you know the whole thing was a bad situation. So 
I, I've been kind of gun shy about taking people's word for these things anymore. But uh, this one I think is pretty rock solid because I found the document about this guy getting charged with a felony and for theft in the, on January 9th. So here it is. I got this gossip, this poker gossips, as the Lithuanians would say, regarding the TI poker room manager Christopher Coffin. This person wrote to me, TI poker room manager Christopher Coffin was arrested for stealing jackpot money via a football pool. He created fictitious players and collected the money after those fictitious players, quote, won. And then they go on to say, this part is unsubstantiated, but it's also believed that he stole money from the tournament toke pool intended for the dealers. I think that he and who Jedi should get together. <laughs> I was going to say, were there chopsticks involved? Yeah, I think, I think they'd be good friends. Uh, I'd like to see him nailed on this. I pray he never gets another casino job again. That's what this person wrote to me. And then they, they told me to go check on the Clark County site that shows he's been arrested. So I did, and, and he has. So this is what it says. This is from the uh, Clark County, Nevada website. So it's totally legit. It says, State of Nevada versus Coffin, Christopher Allen. Case type felony, date filed 1-9-2015. Uh, charges, theft from $650 to $3,500 that occurred on December 12th, 2014. So I guess the theft occurred on December 12th. He was charged on January 9th. And, um, you know, it's got to be the same thing unless it's an unrelated theft arrest, but that's still not a good thing for uh, the... Even if he, like, is innocent of this and stole something else, that's still pretty bad for him to be managing the poker room. But I'm sure that's got to be the same thing. I mean, the person who told me about this is, is very reliable... And uh, and here we have the case listed on the Clark County website, and and that's as far as it's gone. Obviously, you know it hasn't been that long since January 9th. But uh, right. I I read on uh, two plus two because immediately when I found out about this, I'm like, okay, I got to research this guy. I could not find a picture of him, but I got to research this guy, and uh, I saw that he had been running the Mirage room for a while. I think he was running the TI room, then he left for the Mirage, and then he left yep. the Mirage yep, and went back right. to TI. And uh, supposedly, I was told he was fired from Mirage for reasons unknown in June yeah. of 2013. I heard that too. Yeah. And uh, there was a post in 2009, not about anything illegal that he was accused of, but uh, a post in 2009 on 2plus2 from pretty much like a dupe account that was created there to call out the guy. And that's what a lot of these people do. A lot of these uh, dealers or other employees in Vegas, they're afraid to go publicly call out their bosses because they're afraid no one's going to want to hire them in the future. So they'll make these like fake accounts. But it doesn't mean that they're falsely accusing the person. It just means that they, they're kind of afraid to have their name attached to making it public, which I can understand. Anyway, right. in 2009, October 2009, a person who called himself Bustin Vegas posted on 2 Plus 2, I visited the Mirage poker room yesterday and learned that the new manager, Chris Coffin, has fired all the shift supervisors because their positions were eliminated. And then he went on to uh, talk about how, how basically the room has, has gone to crap ever since that happened. Uh, he, had he wrote, um, I had assumed that Mr. Coffin was going to be a benefit to the Mirage. I assumed it was he who trained the Treasure Island staff and dealers so well, referring to his previous job at Treasure Island prior to 2009, 
I assumed that his new position, he would be a breath of fresh air and raise the Mirage Poker Room staff to a level that would allow it to, be, to compete with other rooms in town that cater to their players. Uh, training at Treasure Island was obviously somebody else's doing. So he's saying that uh, the dealers at uh, Treasure Island dealt very well, but that uh, with the way the Mirage Poker Room was run, clearly it must have been someone else who trained them, according to this person. So, so he basically was saying that uh, Chris Coffin was not doing a good job and, and ruined the Mirage Poker Room. Uh, and then this person at the end said that they had worked there in the past. So then no one really took this guy seriously, guy or girl, whoever was posted. Uh, they weren't taken seriously because uh, they were seen as like a disgruntled employee. And then it kind of died there because there wasn't a big scandal attached to it. It was just someone saying, hey, I don't think Chris Coffin is doing a good job here. Well, four years later, he was fired from Mirage for unknown reasons, uh, apparently. And then uh, here in uh, 2015, he was arrested for theft and probably for stealing from this football pool, as it was described. So I I probed the source for more information because I was still kind of confused. Like, what, what confused me is, let's say he was registering fictitious players to a football pool. Well the people see how many entrants there are and they understand like with that many entrants that the prize pool should be so much money. So it's really not bad to make multiple entries to a football pool if you pay for them all. And if you don't pay for them all, shouldn't it be like super obvious that people didn't pay because the prize pool is not large enough. So I wasn't understanding what he was doing. So I I asked this person what's going on here. So I asked the source, can you explain how he stole? Like once he created the fakes, did he modify uh, their picks to win? And they said um, it was a promotion where you make picks. You get more picks by playing more hours. He created fake a fake player's card and logged hours. Then he made the correct picks and collected the money. So already there we have some shadiness where um, it wasn't a matter of buying into the pool. It was a matter of you play a certain number of hours there and you get a pick. And the more you play, the more picks you get. So – uh, like, so this was a promotion in the in the actual poker room. Yes, and and, and so somehow yes. this this like phantom player was listed, which is very dumb. Like like in a small poker room, yeah, how's anyone so not going to catch that? Ti, there's like one table <laughs> yeah. going there. But this this was a genius plan to create a fake player and then log a lot of fake hours for him, and then uh, give him a lot of picks. Now, so so I asked, was it a single fake player or multiple ones? And the person said, I think it was a single player. The winner was not a known player to any of the regulars. That's how he got caught. So I, that's obvious. Like this guy wins. Like wait a minute. Like he he played a ton of hours here. I played a ton of hours here. How come like we never played once if it's a tiny room? Like how come none of us know yeah. who he is? Like how, I don't know how he thought he'd get away with that. So then I, I still wondered how he made the correct picks. Even with a lot of picks, he still has to make the right ones. And against a lot of other active players, his chance of winning is still fairly small. So I said, was he lucky enough to have made the correct picks, or did he manipulate them in some way? Or did he just have so many uh, that he was likely to win? Like, like, did he have so many extra picks that that gave him a huge edge? So the source said, he probably didn't pick his winners until after the games were played. Just a guess. Otherwise, he would have had to have gotten lucky. So this person's guessing what he probably did was uh, logged hours and then also manipulated it to where that person made the right picks uh, or changed their picks and... Uh, so, right. so presumably he was in charge also yeah. of keeping that information. Yeah, or or maybe he did just get lucky because he had a lot more picks and that gave him enough of an edge to win. Uh, so uh, you had said in the thread, I see a post from you, you said, I thought it was odd yeah. when he left Mirage and nobody would say why. Yeah, I uh, – it's – there, there was a site that sadly doesn't exist anymore called All Vegas Poker. I mm-hmm. don't know if you ever went there. No, I didn't. But uh, – 
it was just basically it was a forum and it also had reviews and uh it had very updated lists of all the poker rooms in vegas and what games they were spreading and people would write it was like TripAdvisor, but kind of for poker hmm. anyway he was actually pretty active on those forums and um when he left the mirage a lot of questions came up and you know for a guy that was so active he wouldn't say anything and i actually went down to vegas around that time and i was kind of talking to the staff trying to find out and they wouldn't come right out and say what happened but you could just tell by their tone it wasn't good <laughs> uh you could also <laughs> they were also i don't think the staff liked how they ran the poker room how he ran the poker room rather uh specifically there was one <laughs> he had a bad beat from or um not a bad beat but like a jackpot drop for i think it was if you got aces cracked you got to play a hand on a video poker machine <laughs> and it was something crazy like you needed a royal flush in spades or something to win all the money <laughs> and uh they said yeah actually we have to keep this going everyone hates it but by nevada law we can't stop it till somebody wins all the money <laughs> so even though the guy's gone that came up with it we have this stupid machine in the corner here, and I, I think somebody won it like two years later after the guy wow. was gone too. So wow, but yeah, it, it was it was just strange for someone so vocal that you know yeah. he kind of had nothing to say about it. And, and you said it, you doubt that it was the first time this guy stole. Well, a... it's I, I mean this is all just speculation, obviously, but it's I, I, I've I've talked to the man in person. Uh, he's not a young man. Yeah, he's uh, he's fifty three. Yeah, it's just I, I'm just saying it's unlikely that someone decides to start scamming at 53. No, I, I agree. I, like usually, you don't wake up at age 53 and say, "You know what? I've been honest my whole life, but I'm going to start stealing from uh, the yeah, I'm gonna take, football you know, jackpot." Twenty four hundred dollars out of a football or whatever yeah. it was. Like, I don't know. And again, and with with him leaving again, it just seemed strange. But I don't know. I can't say why. For sure, he left Mirage. But yeah, so. Left Mirage under strange circumstances, and then this happened. And I, I thought this was a, an important story to report. I was sure some someone in poker news or you know, some someone in the poker news media would grab this and uh, do a report on it. I, I think it's a pretty big story. Not a huge story, but a pretty big story that someone in a Vegas poker room, so a manager of a Vegas poker room, a former manager of an even bigger Vegas poker room, uh, has been arrested for stealing from the football pool, but nobody wants to cover it. So we're doing yeah. it here, and uh, I feel confident with this one because at the very least the guy can't deny he was arrested for felony theft on January 9th. That cannot be denied. Mm-hmm. So uh, someone asked in the thread, what does a poker room manager make? And I don't know. Do you have any idea? <sighs> I I don't know for sure. Obviously it must vary from room to room. I, I can say this for sure. It must be under 90K because I remember when all the win poker room managers went on strike because the dealers were making more than them. Oh, you mean the, the blackjack dealers? Yeah. That's interesting. No, the poker room dealers. Oh, the the, poker man, room. the oh, managers wow. wanted to, were striking. So you're, you're telling me the poker dealers were making 90K there too? Yes. Oh, but this was, like, this was like the height of – No, I know. I know they don't make that anymore. Five or whatever. Wow. I didn't know the poker dealers made that. I knew the blackjack dealers made 90K there, but uh, wow. Yeah, so the management was – they wanted to strike because they weren't being cut in on the tips, and of course their salary wasn't that high. I heard at the time it was like sixty-five. But again, that was at the win and the height of the poker room. So yeah, I, I was gonna say, I, like, I don't think you make sixty-five there, but yeah, I mean, it's, if you're making anywhere near that, I mean, to be stealing, uh, I mean, you shouldn't be stealing anyway, but especially if you're making an okay salary. Uh, here, uh, let, let's see. I, I just got a, a message here. I got a message. 
and an update on this. Uh, this person said that uh, they know for a fact that uh, Chris Coffin came in for a job at the Palms when he was fired from the Mirage in 2013. And uh, he said he got fired. This is funny. I, I doubt this is the truth. But he said he got fired for dating a dealer and his wife or ex-wife and him got into a physical fight. <laughs> That's the mirage, maybe. Yeah, that's what he's. That's what he. Uh, and he says, uh, but but then. Um, uh, anyway, and this person also said that uh, they believe that uh, managers uh, of the poker rooms will, will make, uh, depending on the size of it. You know, the bigger ones, the bigger or medium ones will make around eighty or eighty-five k. The smaller ones probably less, but uh, they, they make. You know, okay, money. So this guy, this guy shouldn't have been hurting for money. And even if you are, you don't steal. So, especially from the players, it's not even like he was trying to steal from. Uh, it's not it's like he was trying to steal from. Uh, yeah, from the casino. For the casino, yeah. I was, I was distracted because I got another text. But uh, yeah, I, you shouldn't do that either. But to steal from the players from a jackpot pool to make a, a phony identity and then somehow rig it to where you win. That's yeah, the, the whole thing smacks of there's some other issue because yeah. a the amount of money was small and the plan was so <laughs> bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it like, it's like, like using, you want to be caught. Like, yeah, it's, it's almost like using chopsticks to steal tips. I mean, come on. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I don't think there's a Chinese food place in the TI, so that might have been an issue. <laughs> Not sure. I wonder what happened to let's see let's see if, who Jedi has a website again. Like he he. Took the site mostly down. He used to have like a, a constant blog running there, and then he took it down. Let's see if I can mm. find the blog. I want to see what Who Jedi is up to these days. The guy who stole using chopsticks from Foxwoods. Let's see Who Jedi blog. Um, yeah, I think it's gone. I think his yeah, blog I is gone. Yeah, I don't imagine he'll be back, but. <laughs> I just noticed he blocked me. He blocked me. <laughs> he blocked me because I made I covered the story. Like what the hell? He's like he's so sorry about what he did, but then he's blocking the guy who uh, one of the guys who was talking about him. What's also interesting is uh, I see he has short hair now in the picture of him. He always had this long hair. Yeah, very distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. Now he has short hair. Maybe like this is like the legitimate who Jedi. This is the uh, he's not like the, the hippie type anymore. You know, now he's, he's gone the, straight. He's a, he's a clean cut who Jedi who won't steal from the tip jar. OK. <laughs> I love how these scammers and thieves reinvent themselves. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's go to the next story here. Uh, a card counter. A card counter is suing Caesars for detaining him. And uh, getting him arrested. And whenever I read stories like this, it particularly interests me because I am a card counter. I was once more of an active counter than I am now. But uh, still, those stories make me think of myself. I put myself in their shoes. I picture, like, what if this was happening to me? What would I do? What would I say? And, and it's, it's easy to empathize with these victims of the casinos who get abused. And there have been many cases of casinos abusing card counters. There's one not too long ago uh, at, um, I think it was at Maryland Live, 
who was uh, detained and forced to show ID, which they shouldn't have, shouldn't be able to do. You are not forced to show ID if they catch you card counting. They can tell you to leave. They can escort you off the premises. They can threaten to arrest you if you come back and do it. But they can't just hold you there until you show your ID. But they did, and the the cops forced the guy to show his ID. This is a different case. But like it, mm-hmm. the, the guy recorded it. I guess he recorded the audio on his phone without them realizing it, and then he obtained the video and put them together, you know, the casino video. And then so we were able to watch oh, the whole thing go down. And it was uh, interesting to see. And I, I, I felt bad for the guy because uh, he was right. And they were just, uh, it was a combination of the casino bullying him and the cops being ignorant of the actual law. And uh, but, but getting back to this case, this is a weird one. A professional gambler from New Jersey uh, claims employees at Planet Hollywood Resort, and keep in mind there's Planet Hollywood here in Vegas, not in, in New Jersey. There isn't one in New Jersey anyway illegally detained him and stole nearly $5,000 in casino chips after they noticed him card counting in June of 2013. The gambler, Ross Miller, filed a lawsuit against the Las Vegas resort in Clark County District Court on Monday, the same day he filed a case against the resort's owner, Caesars Entertainment Corporation, in the New Jersey Superior Court. In the New Jersey case, Miller also claims he was illegally detained at the three Caesars properties in Atlantic City in 2000. And 13. Whoa. Hold on a second. Before we continue here. In the New Jersey case, Miller also claims he was illegally detained at three Caesars properties in Atlantic City in 2013. What is going on here? How is he getting detained so often? The article goes on to say, The casinos in general have this negative stigma, Miller said in a telephone interview Thursday. They dislike professional advantage players. Miller, who's 28, said card counters and other advantage players are not cheaters, but casinos often treat them as such. Card counting is simply playing a strategy, he said. Caesars spokesman Gary Thompson said the company does not comment on pending litigation. Las Vegas attorney Robert Nersesian is representing Miller in the Nevada case, but the plaintiff is representing himself in the New Jersey case. Miller was first detained on May 24, 2013 at Caesars Atlantic City, and he was acquitted of a disorderly conduct a year later, the New Jersey complaint says. Miller believes the details of that incident, including his identity, were shared throughout the company. I'm sure it was. Of course. Of course it was. (laughs) What, they're going to keep it a secret from the other uh, branches of Caesars? Okay. The Nevada lawsuit indicates that Miller was card counting at Blackjack on June 20th through 2013, when he saw that he was being watched and decided to leave, he approached the Planet Hollywood Casino cage to cash out his 4975 in chips. According to the lawsuit, cage personnel took the chips and requested Miller's identification. Miller refused. When the personnel wouldn't cash Miller's chips, he tried to contact the Nevada Gaming Control Board, but he lacked self-service at that location. The lawsuit claims that Planet Hollywood employees had a duty at that point to contact the board themselves instead of security officer demanded Miller's identification and Miller again refused to provide it. According to the lawsuit, the officer then told Miller to leave or face charges for trespassing. As Miller began to depart, he stopped to take a picture of his chips. Miller was, quote, grabbed and handcuffed by Planet Hollywood personnel, the the lawsuit alleges. Casino employees summoned Las Vegas police, who then initiated a criminal case against Miller, according to the lawsuit. The criminal case ended in Miller's favor, the document states, but he was yet to get his money back. The lawsuit claims include theft, false imprisonment, defamation, battery, and malicious prosecution. 
Miller suffered cuts and bruises when he was detained, according to the document. According to the New Jersey lawsuit, Miller was also assaulted and detained in in July 2013 in Harris, Atlantic City, and in November 2013 at the showboat in Atlantic City. Both times, Miller was charged with disorderly conduct, but the charges were later withdrawn. In these particular cases, the stuff they did, it really hurt me, Miller told the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Miller, who lives in Howell, New Jersey, said he spent thousands of dollars defending himself against the criminal charges. Now, I got some questions here. All right, so the places where he was uh, detained, in addition to Planet Hollywood, and this you know, Planet Hollywood detention happened in, uh, June, on June 20th, 2013. Not 14, but 13. But uh, less than a month before that, he was detained at Caesars Atlantic City, also a Caesars property, obviously, as is Planet right. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Harris Atlantic City in July, just a month later, and got detained again. Then he went to Showboat Atlantic City, in November 2013, and got detained again. Now, now, why doesn't he try playing at properties not owned by Caesars? <laughs> I mean, He's trying to grind up that seven stars. I, I, I don't understand this. So you have these awful experiences where they're detaining you and humiliating you and grabbing you and cutting you and, uh, and stealing your money. And you're like, you know what? I had such an awful experience here. Uh, I'm going to go to another one of your properties uh, next month. And then another one the next month. And another one the next. Why does he keep going back if this is happening? Like it doesn't make any sense. He might have the right to go back, but but yeah. why is he? Also, I don't know about New Jersey, but in Vegas, Caesar's properties have the worst blackjack rules. So I was thinking that too. Counts in blackjack. Why the hell is he playing at any Caesar's properties? I was thinking that too. Um, I haven't looked recently because you know once I started getting into the World Series, I didn't want to card count, uh, card count at Caesar's properties and get kicked out and then not be able to play the World Series anymore, which really could happen. So I said, I'm not going to even try anymore at, at these properties. But when I had looked, I did notice that the games were poor. Now, it's possible maybe in the high limit section they're good, but the high limit section, they watch you like a hawk. You're stupid to ever try to count in the high limit section because there's like they're like standing around with nothing to do. Yeah. And boy, because do they watch you closely. Two- Two players in there, you yeah. know, at any given time. Yeah, so yeah. they'll they'll get on you really fast. But putting that aside, and I thought what you thought though, like like why why was he playing there? It's not like the games there are good. But even no. putting that aside, why does it keep going back if this is something that's so traumatic and so bad? It's not like they're the only casino owners uh, where he plays. There's many other owners. You know, there's many other casinos owned by other parties. Mm-hmm. He's only had the problems there. Why does he keep going back is the first question. It's not like the showboat is like a, a wonderful place. It's not like he's saying, well, these are the only two nice properties. He's going to shitholes like the showboat. Yeah. And and I, you can answer this for me, Druff, but isn't it true that counters never use players' cards? No, it's not true. You, you oh, Here's, here's oh. the problem. It's a double-edged sword. Um, and I don't think he was using a player's card. Uh, so I, I think that's that's the whole problem here. Is they because that he would literally be the only reason. He, yeah, he he wouldn't give his ID, but but um, you're not required to use the player's card. You, you, no, no, no. But yeah, uh, but but I the, the thing that's so strange to me is a few things that are strange, and I know this because I have counted cards. I have gotten caught counting cards. Uh, I've gotten caught both in Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Not by any Caesars properties, but I have at a number of other different properties, and it's always pretty much the same thing. Uh, they can't—they come up to me. They tell me anywhere from you can't play blackjack here anymore to uh, 
you can only make flat bets from from now on or or sometimes a little bit more severe like you know you have to leave now or even one time i had it where you, you can't come back ever we're arresting you but i've never had it where they've backroomed me not that they don't but the, i've never had it they've always let me cash out there's never been an argument about that uh there's never been any kind of detention here and it just doesn't really happen these days for just card counting in the old days yes but nowadays for the most part especially company especially casinos owned by large companies if they if it's just a standard situation where you're card counting and they catch you then they they either kick you out or if you're coming back when you weren't supposed to be there then they'll have you arrested but uh they will not uh do all this and here's the strangest part or one of many strange parts in new jersey it is actually not only legal to card count, but it's illegal for them to detain you or kick you out of the game if you're card counting. So you can walk into any New Jersey casino, I'm not even kidding here, and you can sit down and say, hey, dealer, I'm a card counter. I'm going to count cards right now. And they cannot kick you out of the game. They cannot kick you off the property for that. They absolutely cannot. It is against the law. There was a landmark case about this in 1987 in New Jersey that prevents them from doing this. In Vegas, yes, they can kick you out. In New Jersey, no, they cannot kick you out for counting. So their only defense to counting is to change the game on the fly to where it's no longer beatable. And that's what they've done to me. When I've played in New Jersey and card counted, what they've done to me is, uh, like, it's a six-deck shoe. They'll change the cut card the next shuffle to where it cuts three decks off, which makes it unbeatable. Uh, They'll also tell me I can only play one hand at a time, which also can bring down my edge if there's several people at the table. They're allowed to do that. But they cannot tell me to leave the game. They cannot ban me from the property in New Jersey. That's a rule. That's a law. They have someone from gaming in New Jersey there all the time. Uh, I, I can't understand how in New Jersey, of all places, he would get detained three times for counting when they're not allowed to detain anyone or even kick them out of the game for counting. So that doesn't make sense either. So there has been some speculation doesn't say it in this article or any other article, but there's been some speculation that all of this is about his age. Now, he really is 28, apparently, but maybe the casinos are hiding behind the claim that they need to see his ID for his age because they are allowed to refuse to cash you out if they think you're under 21. Now, they they have to use uh, common sense here, like... I'm almost 43 years old. If I was there and they refused to cash me out because they say I might be under 21, uh, I would say BS. There's no chance I'm under 21. No one would believe for a second I'm under 21 or even could be. So you're BSing me here just because you want my ID. I'm not showing it to you. And I could take action against them for that. And I'm I'm pretty sure I would win because, you know, anyone would use common sense and say there's no way they were actually concerned that I was under 21. I don't look anywhere close to that, obviously being you know, more than 20 years past that. But uh, for a 28-year-old, uh, that's a reasonable request. We need to see your ID. Now, it's very possible they know he's over 21, and this is just their excuse to find out who he is, but they can hide behind it legally. So I have a feeling it was something like that, where he tried to cash out, and, uh, and, and they say, no. I bet it's something like this. Like, they can't kick him out of New Jersey's games for card counting. So I bet it's something like this. They come up to him and say, sir, can I see ID? He says, no. They say, well, we don't think you're 21. 
He says, I am. I'm way over 21. I'm not showing to you. You're, you know, you're BSing me here. Sir, you have to show us you're 21 or you're going to have to leave and we're taking your chips. And then, you know, he argues and argues and argues and eventually they, they, uh, they call police and, and pop him on his disorderly conduct. Then right. he comes back a month later and does it again to a different property. Then he comes back a month later and does it again to a different property. Then he comes back three months later and does it again to a different property. And they're like, look, I don't know why this guy's doing this, but we know who he is. But he keeps pulling this crap on us over and over, and we're not, we're not going to go for it. You know, we're not going to let him keep pulling this crap on us. I, I don't know why they don't just trespass him for this reason. But uh, It'll probably come down to how the law is written in the state. Um, I know I, I used to work at a liquor store. Uh, when I was younger, and the law in the province was you have to be 19 to drink, but you're supposed to ID anyone who quote unquote looks 25 or under. Yeah. So if it's 21, it could easily be looks 30 or under, and then they'd be within their rights. Yeah, and I mean that's uh, reasonable, but uh, why does he keep coming back? Why does he keep coming back to their properties well, when he thinks that that's they? The question. And, and I think it's because he wants to sue them. I think it's yes. either, it's one of two things: either he's lawsuit fishing here to get them to do things that are going to be uh, actionable for him to bait them into this, to bait you know, dumb security guards into overstepping their bounds and then suing them for a lot of money, or mm-hmm. maybe he's just uh, such an idiot that he's so obsessed with not having to show his ID, and he's like, huh, well, they're not going to get my ID because they don't have a right to. They can't just say they, they're concerned about my age. I'm 28. They can't do this to me, so I'm not going to show it. I'm going to keep going back there and showing them that I don't have to show it. Ha! Huh. Like, it could be something like that, too. Like The guy is just uh, has a dumb, like, I'm going to show them on principle sort of matter. What a dumb thing to obsess over about uh, showing yeah. your ID. Also, he's wasting more of his own time than anyone, so. Yeah, and it's more likely the former, I would guess, that he's that it's he, this intends to go to court somehow. But. Yeah, and and you know what? Even if they did some things wrong, and even if he was abused here the first time, if you keep going back to the same properties over and over and over for the same punishment, uh, there's obviously some ulterior motive here. Uh, I don't care what happened. If I got abused by some property and had to sue them. That would be the end of my going there in the future. I wouldn't keep going there uh, and, and you know, forget giving them business. I could, you know, I could rationalize as an advantage player. I'm taking money from them, but I, I wouldn't keep going there and inviting the same problems to occur over and over and over. I would stay away after a terrible experience. But he keeps coming back again and again and again, and he gets detained for some reason that that he's not explaining. Uh, he's not even explaining why they're detaining him. He's saying they detained him, but why? It couldn't be for counting right. cards. They don't do that in New Jersey. They can't do that in New Jersey. Uh, it, it sounds like he's he's there, dancing around the reason for the detention. Which is probably the age thing. Yeah, it's probably the age thing. If it, I would be really, really confused by this if he was like 45. But I bet, right. it's, the, I bet it's the age thing, and I bet he's, this is some sort of lawsuit fishing or, or just an idiot who thinks he can keep doing this over and over and uh, – um, and they can't ID him. And look, I, I can see how he might think it sucks that they can force him to show ID using a phony age concern, but that unfortunately that's the way it is when you're fairly close to 21. So that's that's a fact of life, that they can ID you for age concerns. So uh, weird story, and I think when more comes out, we're going to see the truth. And why was the criminal case against him dismissed? Why was If he's wrong, why is the criminal case dismissed? Well, I... I 
criminal cases are dismissed often when there's not enough evidence. It's not necessarily the person didn't do something illegal or maybe it was quasi-illegal, but if there's got to be real evidence to where a DA wants to uh, prosecute it or if they do prosecute it, the judge will often say, this is BS, we're not touching this. And, you know, so if he didn't actually do anything that bad, if he didn't attack anyone, if he didn't cheat, uh, you know, if, if they take him, if they criminally charge him and it gets in front of a judge and the judge is like, okay, what did he do? Well, he wouldn't show us his ID and then he kept arguing and arguing and arguing, would not give up and just was, you know, was very, very persistent about it, wouldn't show ID like he's required to. Like, uh, the judge is going to say, ah, this yeah. is BS. This, we're not convicting him of a criminal offense for this. But, uh, you know, everybody get out of here. This is stupid. Sort of Especially thing. in that area. Trust me, they got much bigger things yeah, to worry about. that's true. In Atlantic City, that's not exactly a major crime. That's a no. shithole over there. So, yeah. So, something's wrong with this story. This is not the guy to rally around. Uh, if you want to rally around a card counter who was abused, uh, pick the guy who got detained at Maryland Live. That guy seems to be legitimately innocent. But uh, uh, this something's really weird about this one. Okay, so let's talk about something I don't think is so weird. And that is uh, Bitcoin finally crashing. Uh, let me look at the amount right now in Bitcoin, how much it's worth at the moment. I think it's 225 I've seen, okay, I've seen Coinbase is 219, almost 220, 219.94, Bitstamp 219.09, okay. so we've got 209, pretty much 219. Uh, and this is pretty bad. Now, Bitcoin had a few booms, mainly two booms. There's a, a first kind of mini boom, which took it from like 5 to around 40. But no one took that much notice then. The The real notice was taken when it went from 42, which will sound like a familiar number, to 20, where it is right now. And everyone's like, wow, a Bitcoin for $220, amazing. And uh, then it crashed down a little bit, kind of corrected itself back down to like 175 or so. And it it sat there for a little bit, and people didn't know what to think. And uh, then came the amazing rise of uh, November 2013 when it shot up all the way to about $1,200 a coin. Now, a few reasons went into that rapid ascent. Part of it was hype that Everyone took notice of how quickly Bitcoin was rising and figured, you know, you better get in now. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind. So people get buying as it went up, 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 up. People are envisioning, hey, I buy now for 800. One day it'll be worth 10,000. That was some of it. There's also accusations that Mt. Gox, which definitely turned out to be very shady, that, uh, quote, lost $500 million of Bitcoin. Mt. Gox, which was then the biggest Bitcoin exchange, there was some speculation that Mt. Gox was actually manipulating the market, that they were the ones who caused it to rise that high, that the site would freeze and unable to you know, have trades made during certain points when it was rising, and yet the uh, the owner of Mt. Gox, uh, Mark, the CEO, Mark Carpellas, was somehow able to do it, as were some people closely associated with him, that there were, it was shown that some trades were made you know, while it was supposedly frozen or down. A lot of accusations, I'm not going to go into that here, that 
Mt. Gox manipulated this to where it shot up so high. And then when it got up to 1,200, dumped them for a big profit. Now, after it got to 1,200, it was kind of straight up uh, from kind of September to November. It was straight up all the way up to 1,200. Every day it goes up, 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 up. up, People couldn't believe it. People were like, wow, a Bitcoin, which is worth like five bucks for a while, is now worth 1,200. What an amazing appreciation. And there were talks about how high could it go. Is it going to be worth 10,000 one day? 100,000? Are the people holding a lot of Bitcoin going to be super rich? They're going to have 100 million to their name one day? A billion maybe? Uh, This was uncharted territory. Nobody knew what to expect. Then came the weird volatility. See, up till then, Bitcoin had never really had much of a crash. There was the little correction when it went from... uh, 220 down to uh, you know, 170 something, but there was never a major crash. It kind of uh, held steady for a while, and then it, you know had that rapid rise in the fall of 2013. But then we had crashes, so we had the crash all the way uh, down to about 600 very quickly, within like uh, you know, two weeks or so. Then it went back up to around uh, 800, 900. Then it crashed back down to 500. Then it went back down, to, uh, back up to about 600. And this is, uh, this is over a period of, you know, we're, we're talking about now we're like in February 2014. So this short period of time. And we kept seeing up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. If you look at the graph of Bitcoin, you'll see that. It has this meteoric rise hitting in November uh, 2013. Then a crash, then a rise, then a crash, then a rise, then a crash, then a rise, and over and over and like this. Uh, in the middle of 2014, it kind of stabilized in the 600 range for a little while. There were some mini crashes, but they always recovered pretty quickly. But then, uh, around June, it started a steady decline from around 600 down to 500. From 500 down to uh, quickly into the mid-threes. And then in September, it kind of held pretty steady in the, in the threes. And it stayed there for a long time. So throughout the end of 2014, Bitcoin was three-something. That was the most stability it had had since that meteoric rise to 1,200. And people started to feel safe. People started to feel, hey, that's probably Bitcoin's real value, three-something. It goes up a little, down a little, but it's, we haven't had any crashes or, or big, rise, big uh, rises of the value. But... Now we are seeing something different. The new year was not good news for Bitcoin. I told you about how I've been struggling a bit in the year 2015, both health-wise and uh, poker-wise. But Bitcoin's been worse. Bitcoin, pretty much right from January 1st, started to crash. Bitcoin was in the uh, low 300s on January 1st as uh, the new year struck. By January 4th, had already dipped into the 260s. Uh, Over the next few days, it it recovered, got as high as like 280-something. And now we are in the midst of a big crash. In the last uh, two, three days, it's gone from 270s down to 220. And of course, as the value gets lower and lower, each point it drops becomes more significant percentage-wise. 
So to look at this simply, it's lost uh, about a third of its value since January 1st, which is crazy. So what's going on here? Should you be concerned if you hold Bitcoin? Are we going to see a recovery? Are we going to see a massive crash down way past this? Well, as far as the reason is concerned, I don't know. Do you have any idea? I mean, to me, it seems to kind of live and die by the hype of it. And I don't see how the average person, unless it's you know, shoved in their face by some kind of media story, would care at all about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. I do not care about Bitcoin. I, th- I thought I, the exact I, same I, thing. I, thought... I don't know why you even talk about it on the show, to be honest. <laughs> I, I remember somebody texted, was it Raw Wolf, said, hey, can I call him talk about gold and silver? And you said, well, it's not poker, it's not fraud. Why would we talk about it? I mean, Bitcoin, to the average person, it's, it's not practical. It, it, it's, I mean, I guess as any kind of stock, it's kind of interesting, maybe as an investment opportunity, but why would the average person care about it? Well, okay. I, I don't. I, you're right. The average person doesn't. And I agree with you that I think that's a big reason for the crash. That's not really being discussed. Uh, I, I, As far as this site and this show is concerned, a lot of the listeners here and, and readers in the forum, a lot of the poker people seem interested in Bitcoin for various reasons. Yeah, uh, it does seem to be prevalent in the gambling community. So, so that's that. that's why I'm talking about it on this show. But I will agree yeah. that the average person doesn't care much about it, especially since the hype died out from you know late 2013, early 2014. And, uh, and that's actually a point I was going to make about the future of Bitcoin. Going back to what I said earlier, I talked about how Bitcoin was volatile in that It would go up, it would go down, it would go up, it would go down. You never knew which way it was going to go. It was uncharted territory. Even when it crashed, you said, hey, it it fell once before from 220 to like 175, and look, it ended up at 1,200. It fell from 1,200 to 600, but then bounced back to nearly nine. So, like, you never knew what its floor was and what its ceiling was. It was a complete unknown, and it was fun for people that way. It was interesting for that reason. Well we're starting to get more of a clear picture. And let me tell you what hasn't happened in recent times. Let me tell you what has not happened in, uh, in basically in 2014, or basically at least since uh, the early middle of 2014, since like May. We have not seen any appreciable rise of Bitcoin at any point since it rose back from a crash to get to about 600 it was under 500. It rose back to about 600, in, I think around May. We haven't seen any kind of appreciable rise in Bitcoin since then. It hasn't been up and down volatile. It's just been down. It's been a, right. a steady fall down or flat for a long time. And that's bad. And you know what that's like? Um, the old Bitcoin, the Bitcoin prior to May of 2014, was kind of like a crazy no-limit poker player who's just a good player, a fairly good player, but but overly aggressive. And you never know if he's going to win a ton or lose a ton. Up, down, up, down, up, up, down. But Bitcoin since May of 2014 has been more like a basic strategy blackjack player. Someone who will win a little, 
but will keep bleeding away money over time because he's playing a negative expectation game. And that he'll never have any appreciable run-up. He'll have a little run-up, but nothing that big. And, and what you'll see over time, over enough hands, is just down, 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 down. And, and that's what I see happening. And, uh, and what's even interesting about this crash is it's not a super, super rapid crash. It's rapid in, in you know, if you spread it over uh, weeks or even recently the days. But I haven't seen a super rapid crash yet. I'm just seeing right. a decline in value that's either slow or, or sometimes faster, but and, the and Bitcoin keeps evaporating. It too. Because how many people are actually, you know, the dyed in the wool, we need our own currency free from the government, anti-establishment kind of people that bought into Bitcoin? 1%? And the other 99 were investors. So it hasn't shot down enough for people to think, oh, man, it just was a total crash. I got to buy low. And there hasn't been any upswings as well. Like you say, there's no roller coaster effect anymore. So it's it's boring now. Yeah, and, and I think now I think now that uh, you're not going to have that many people coming in who are going to say, hey, I've got to buy low because I don't think people have faith anymore that it's not going to keep falling. Or And I also don't think people have faith it's going to go back up because it hasn't in a long time. And they've, you know, they've watched, uh, they already watched, it had a ceiling. The ceiling was 1,200. The second ceiling was like 900. The third ceiling was like 600. But but I don't think you're going to find many people, aside from the diehards in Bitcoin, that now think it has unlimited potential. You're not going to find many people now who think, hey, I'm going to buy in now, and there's a good chance one day it'll be up at 5,000. Almost nobody's going to say that now. Where back when it was shooting up to 1,200, you had a lot of people thinking, wow, the sky's the limit. They've already been there. They've already done that. They've seen it fall significantly from where it was. They see it is not shooting up. I just don't think there's the excitement now where you're going to have a lot of buy orders by, by outsiders anymore. I think outsiders are kind of sick of it. Outsiders are, will, will watch and see that it's, it's steadily fallen. I don't think outsiders are going to believe that if it crashes down that it's going to rebound back up because it hasn't done it yet. Right. Also, there's no actual product there. So – since this has already been covered on every media outlet on earth, it's not going to be covered again, which is not going to spike the price. So this is not something like, oh, maybe people are going to start you know, buying this product again or they'll change it because this, there's nothing really there. So the chance that it's going to shoot up you know, for, for what reason? Yeah. Let me tell you, if you've been investing in Bitcoin or if you're a Bitcoin fanatic – and you thought Bitcoin was was going to take over the world, or the value was going to shoot up. If you're holding a lot of Bitcoin, you're thinking, you know, if you think you're at one point you were holding a million dollars in Bitcoin, and you you thought maybe one day it's going to be worth a hundred million. Guess what? It's done. It's over. It's, it's not going to happen for you. You should get out now while you still can. It, it's game over. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> it's game over. It is. It's game over. I'm I thinking, think so. I, I think this so. this is it. It's it's when I say this is it, I'm not saying it's going to be worthless right away. I'm saying that I can't see a scenario where Bitcoin excites the general public who's going to pump a lot of money into it. I see either a major crash coming where it just like it crosses some kind of psychological barrier like 200 and everyone just gets out immediately and it just crashes down to, you know, 40 bucks again or or maybe even worse, maybe it becomes worthless or it just kind of bleeds away. Maybe this crash stops and stabilizes the 200 or whatever, 175. But you're going to see another and another. It's going to bleed away. 
and and that's going to be that. And maybe we will have a cryptocurrency one time, one day that is a major factor. Maybe the world's not quite ready for it yet. Maybe this was just a too immature of a concept to work the way it was intended. Maybe uh, in several years we will have a cryptocurrency which uh, really redefines the way we do commerce. I'm not dismissing the possibility of that. I'm not bashing cryptocurrency. I'm saying that this is not going to be it. Bitcoin's not going to be it. Bitcoin has pretty much had its time. It's had its day in the sun. It is now melting. And uh, I don't see the melting stopping. I think Bitcoin kind of has terminal cancer at this point. I think Bitcoin is Blackberry at this point. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's always going to exist, but, you know, at a level where only the fanatics really care. Yeah, and uh, so I wouldn't even suggest jumping in. Like, if it crosses 200, and there's going to be some people are going to go, okay, well, I better buy in. It may see, like, a quick bump back up, like, if it goes under 200, which Mm -hmm. I think is going to happen pretty soon. Every day we seem to be having the pattern of, like, it has a fairly big fall, and then it stops for a little bit. So, like, it fell from, like, 275 to 240-something, and then it kind of held there. That was yesterday. Then today, you know, went from 240-something to 220. It's kind of holding there now. I, I bet tomorrow we're going to see around 200 or 210. We're, we're going to keep seeing this, and probably it's going to get under 200. Some people will buy back in because they think they're going to make money back. Uh, but it's also possible that it'll trigger like a, a crazy sell. I think if there are not people jumping in under 200 to try to, uh, you know, with the belief it's going to come back, I, I think that it may trigger a massive panic. I think just seeing the one number in front of it instead of a two or a three. Yeah, it depends how many people bought in under that price, but yeah. Yeah, and here's something awesome. interesting. Here's something interesting that uh, I was talking about before. The last run-up from 220, actually like 175, but the, the peak of this previous run-up was 220. Then it went down a little bit, then went up to 1,200. For the first time ever, we are back where we were after... The initial big run-up. So the, the, the huge run-up that occurred from like, you know, around 200 all the way up to 1,200, that's all been negated. That's all gone. If you bought in at that point and didn't sell, guess what? You're even. Right. Yeah. And I guess to kind of segue into the next segment, I mean, how do you think this is going to affect, you know, mainstream poker and or gambling sites accepting this? Yeah. Well, so the winning poker network has announced that they are going to be accepting Bitcoin for deposits, surprisingly all the way up to $25,000 for the Bitcoin they will accept. I guess I guess deposits, they're happy to take anything. Uh, but uh, they're not doing withdrawals just yet. They claim they're going to put it together. They're not refusing to do withdrawals. They're just saying we haven't developed it yet, but we will very soon, is what they're saying. Uh, the uh, So how is this going to affect that? Well... Um, I think that uh, people. I mean, at ha- what point is it too much of a hassle? Well, and what, what all these especially sites- if you know you have zero point zero five percent of people depositing this way. Yeah. Well, so here's the problem: is that uh, first of all, these sites I'm sure are selling the Bitcoin immediately when they get them, unless they, they become to. so big that they that they uh, have withdrawals the same day can just cycle them through. But they've got to be selling them as I soon as they it. get them. I think I think they've decided just that the processing they have to go through. For, you know, convert Bitcoin to cash is less than what they have to pay their shady processors, so they, they might as well do it. Uh, 
I, I think Bitcoin is one of the one of the few good applications of it is to deposit and withdraw from online poker. I would tell you I would actually use it to deposit and withdraw to online poker, but I would tell you I wouldn't hold on to it. I would I would sell it immediately. If I just withdrew ten thousand in Bitcoin, I wouldn't be sitting on it because I'd watch it evaporate very fast. So uh, um, I, I don't think this is going to affect it so much, except that I don't think people are going to want to be like sitting on a lot of Bitcoin, except for the fanatics. I think that. Uh, the typical poker player who's not a Bitcoin fanatic is not going to say, hey, you know, I'm going to deposit with Bitcoin, I'll withdraw, okay, now I'll just sit on it for a while, and when I need it, I need it. Like, now I think every poker player who's not a Bitcoin fanatic, if they use Bitcoin to deposit or withdraw, will not hold on to any of it. And I think that's another problem, and I think that's, uh, there's been some theories, this is what's also been causing the crashes, is that the merchants that are accepting it immediately go and sell it. And so what you're getting is, like, more sell orders now. Right. Because the second they receive it, they just want to sell it. And uh, this, uh, if there's not new people buying it, what ends up happening is, uh, is the same old people who, who own or invest in Bitcoin have to keep buying those same Bitcoin back that are being sold by the merchants. And, and eventually the sell orders uh, are way bigger than the buy orders, and you know what happens then. So uh, this... There was some talk about Bitcoin being a Ponzi scheme, and I don't agree with that. I don't agree that the creator of Bitcoin, this uh, Shatoshi Nakamoto, that uh, I don't believe that he created this as a Ponzi scheme. I don't believe this was a devious plan to uh, get all these Bitcoins at the beginning. Anyone who early adopted Bitcoin, uh, you could have run, you could have accumulated a ton of them early on, very, very easily. Through mining, through buying when they were very, very cheap, uh, yeah. you could have accumulated a ton. And if you could then get the hype to push these things up to twelve hundred dollars, then boy, you could make untold millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. So there's accusations that maybe the Bitcoin creator expected this all along, and that's why he created Bitcoin. But I don't believe that because Bitcoin sat for a long time without hype, without promotion. It was really a very fringe thing, and those that were uh, into it and those that created it and those that were originally behind it were not really doing anything to push this onto the general public. It kind of happened on its own. Yeah, I think they were you know, the true believers. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there was anything sinister in Bitcoin's creation. Uh, I don't think it was a Ponzi scheme, but I think that uh, it was more of a fad. It was more of a, of something like like Beanie Babies. The Beanie Babies are not a Ponzi scheme, but uh, you know when they, when they shot up in value, people were collecting them and artificially assigning value to stuffed animals that should have been worth five bucks. Uh, it was the same thing. People were buying them as what they thought was an investment, so they could sell to other people for even more money. And eventually, the whole thing crashed. Right. And again, they're still around, but who cares? Yeah, I actually just and bought I one. Think that's going to happen. I actually just bought one for Benjamin for five bucks, literally. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I was actually in a, in a big five sporting goods of all places, and I was getting a toboggan, uh, actually from Mount Charleston. I, I bought a toboggan to go up to Mount Charleston with Benjamin. And uh, he liked this little dog that was up there in the Beanie Baby, the beanie baby stand, so I bought it for him for five bucks. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's funny to think and about. you thought, I'm going to be rich then. someday. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, so I think what it's you're trying like to say, Todd, is buy breakout coin. Yeah. What was your story with Breakout Coin anyway? So, I, I'm. I, when, when was I last on the show? I, I can't remember. Anyway, a month ago. 
So just about after the last time I co-hosted, I was playing just some little some one two at the local uh, casino, and uh, I was in like the three seat, and the guys in the seven and the eight seat were talking about uh, Apple, and uh, I guess they were talking about oh is it a good time to buy? What do you think? Da 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 da. So this is on the other side of the table. The guy beside me in the two seat says, interrupting their conversation. You know what's a great investment right now? Breakout coin. <laughs> and I said, huh? He said, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's Bitcoin, but for gambling. And, and you know, he was listing all the people, Johnny Chan and Jen Harmon and all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> and I didn't want to tip my hand too much. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> and I said, uh, <laughs> You know, it's kind of strange you mentioned that since uh, I, I said, are you in, invested? And, and the other guys had kind of stopped listening by now. And he said, well, full disclosure, I'm in charge of the marketing. <laughs> and I said, ah, I see. Wait, wait goes, was, yeah. that, uh, was that the uh, that David Zesh guy by any chance? I don't know. I don't know what he looks like. I, I don't know we, either, actually. We didn't have a long conversation because he moved to another game. Well, how old um, was he? Oh, I'd say mid-40s. I, th- I think maybe David, late forties. Yeah, I think he's a little older than that, but hmm. I, I thought he was involved in the marketing. It could have been him. Well, he said he was the head of marketing. That's how he presented himself. Hmm. Maybe he, he said, "He said, oh, we have seven million dollars for marketing.' I don't think it was him though, because I asked him about some of the pros. I, I was trying to get some information, and I said, "Oh, so are you? How are the pros getting paid? Do they get paid in breakout coin?" And, <laughs> and he said, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> They're getting money, and he said, "Well, actually, I, I just came on recently. If it were up to me, those are not the guys I would have hired. I would have gone younger, more uh, internet kids." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay." And yeah, and then he just kind of left. But it's just hilarious, apropos of nothing. You know, it's a great investment. Break it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. How much did they even sell on that initial coin offering? Did you, did you end up seeing what they sold? <sighs> I don't know. I tried looking on their site, and it's a mess, and it's a fail. And, uh... <laughs> I mean, that thing. I, I wish I could have bet against that one. Boy, was boy, was that a mess? What, that was <laughs> that one had fail written all over it, everywhere. I, but I get ten thousand draft coins each show I appear on. Yeah, so that's uh, that's actually worth working. more than breakout coins, strangely enough. So okay, let's let's go to the next topic here. No more Bitcoin, no more breakout coin. Joe Seabach, let's talk about him. What is he doing these days? Joe Seabach, uh, former spokesman for the new UB, the new UB that was owned by different people, not by the cheaters, that was safe to play on, totally different than the former cheat site. You can trust them. You can trust Joe Seabach. <laughs> he looked into the hand histories. Unfortunately, you know, 10% of them got lost. Not his fault, yeah. not their fault. It, it, it just happens. It just happens. Joe, Joe, he uh, he felt he did what he needed to do to get. He, he promised when he joined that he would quit if they were going to be uh, uh, not honest with him and if they weren't uh, upfront with him. And he felt they were upfront with him and they were honest with him and they gave him everything that uh, they could have given him. So he stayed. He stayed. And uh, yeah, so, I, I like how he, he he actually put out on his site or Twitter something. That he's quitting, and it was like six days after Black Friday. Yeah, <laughs> he stayed like, to the bitter oh, end. He and uh, Prahlad Friedman, uh, they stayed to the bitter end on the new UB that was really uh, run by the same cheaters. And uh, you know, he helped the cover-up. I, I don't think that he was told he was covering anything up. He just was told to say things, and he didn't question them. He would, he would take their lies and peddle them as truth. 
He would uh, he was happily their spokesman. He was happily using his good name and uh, the fact that he was Barry Greenstein's stepson and taking money from them to keep his uh, Hermosa Beach party lifestyle up because he wasn't winning in poker anymore. So uh, he was taking that money to repeat whatever they tell him at UB, and he showed a shocking lack of curiosity mm-hmm. about the truth, even when people were coming to him, myself included, saying, hey, Joe, ask them this, ask them that, and then he wouldn't. Then he would, he would just make excuses, or they would give him a non-answer, and he would frame it back to the public as if they gave him an answer. It was so frustrating. And yeah. uh, who, so, who was the guy who was the president or whatever at the time? It was uh, Paul Leggett. Yeah, so his answer to everything was, well, ask Paul about that, and he said it's fine. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> so, well, that's not really doing anything, is it? So so Joe got crushed by uh, the poker community. People hated him. And uh, in one way, it's a little unfair because Joe was not one of the cheaters. Joe didn't actually steal any money from anyone directly. Uh, he wasn't even around in UB when the cheating actually occurred. and And people who gained a lot more from it either from directly being involved in the cheating or by owning pieces of the company and, and, and staying way too long after that and, and gaining a lot from those years when the cheating occurred. People like Helmuth and Annie Duke, you know, they they didn't get enough shit for it. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, he wasn't there. You know, he wasn't actively covering up cheating. There wasn't cheating going on while he was there unless you consider, you know, not actually keeping the players' money segregated. Quote, yeah, unquote, cheating, but, but 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 he was definitely. I mean, he wasn't so stupid to where he was aware what was going on. He was aware that they were lying to him. He was aware that they were you know, stonewalling him. That they were giving ridiculous answers. That the answers were all being disproven on two plus two. He even tried to post on two plus two for a while, and he got clobbered there. And yeah. and when it became too much for him to logically debate with these people, he just left. So uh, like he knew what he was doing, but he's like, crap. It's either I got to keep peddling this BS that they hand to me to feed to people, or. Uh, uh, or that's the end of my lifestyle, and I doubt he said that to himself. That was probably his subconscious, but but you know his conscience yeah. was saying, uh, "Well, I don't have proof this isn't true, so I I don't have a reason to believe it's not true." And you know, yeah, people on the internet are saying it's not, but they're wrong a lot, so I, I'm going to just trust them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, willfully ignorant to the nth degree. Totally. I think it also kind of coincided with a couple other things. Um, one was that his results in poker itself. Uh, were going down. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think part partially the competition had changed, or people had figured them out. And then the other thing was Poker Road was, from yeah. what I know, just hemorrhaging money. It was, it was, it was a big fail. So Poker Road came too late, and they spent a lot of money on it. And uh, I think it cost Barry a lot of money, but they they spent a lot of money on it, and it kind of came too late when the money just wasn't in the poker media anymore like it used to be. And they yeah. and they didn't build it around an affiliate program, which was really the only way it could have made good money so it's too bad because they had great content yeah they did have some good shows i have i met uh, joe a couple times and he was uh you know very nice guy we get to talk to him this was before the ub endorsement everything so that's said it's just you know i think it's just came down to the money ultimately yeah yeah so he got corrupted by the money anyway uh the, the funniest thing was that people wondered after he retreated from the poker community he tried to even play a few more times after that but whenever he went to tournaments he got heckled he he really had a hard time in the poker community he decided it's time he leaves which is the right thing to do uh but then he kind of vanished for a while then there was a strange report and it was a true report that he was crushing grapes for a living <laughs> he was he was in Northern California getting up at four in the morning to go and crush grapes for like 12 hours straight. He said it was very tough work, and I believe him. It's, he was doing like a menial job that like illegal immigrants usually do. 
why he chose that, I don't know. Later, he tried to make an excuse through Barry that he was just helping a friend, but that's not what he said when he was first interviewed. Anyway, uh, no more grape crushing for Joe. Joe Seabach now has a better position. And by the way, uh, for anyone that might still feel sorry for him, though he doesn't really deserve sympathy given that uh, a lot of people lost a lot of money who believed there was a new UB that he peddled and used his good name to peddle. But uh, even if you feel sorry for him and think I shouldn't be doing this segment, uh, this is all information you can find on Google if you type in Joe Seabach. So uh, I, that's how I found it. I didn't get any kind of uh, insider knowledge here. Uh, but anyway, he's secured a better position working for a company called Platform LLC. Now, Platform is not spelled the way you think. It's P-L-A-T-P-H-O-R-M. <laughs> that kind of sounds like something like a 16-year-old would type. Uh, hey, I got a new Platform. Uh, it, it seems it's a weird... I, I know they're trying to be cute here, but w- what is platform? What is platform with a PH? Well, um, so he's the director of marketing there, and this is how platform describes itself on its website. Platform provides a soup to nuts system. I love the way they put that soup to nuts system <laughs> uh, that allows businesses that to build scalable, reliable marketplaces, which buyers pay sellers for information delivered by voice mail chat, SMS, or recorded phone message. You're probably like scratching your head going, what the hell does that mean? Like it, it sounds really good and technical and uh, modern to hear things like uh, building scalable, reliable marketplaces, but a soup to nuts system. But what does that really mean? Well, uh, they go on to break it down to where it's easier to understand. What does our system do? Well, say you just got a puppy. Yes, a puppy. And you're interested in asking questions of a real live expert on how to best tra- how best train him. Google can't help you. Actually, it probably can, but they say it can't. Nor, I don't think it could. Nor can Yahoo, Bing, or any traditional search engine. However, a site powered by our platform, and they spell it correctly here, can. You can type in puppy training, and instead of getting a list of pages, you get a list of people, real people, ready to speak with you live over the phone to answer your questions or via mail, chat, or SMS. You can browse each provider's profile, look at their ratings, and read written feedback left by others. When you find a provider you like, you press a call now button, and our system initiates a call to you, and then the provider, and you're connected to talk for whatever price per minute the or, or per call that the provider has set. It's that simple. We white-label the system for other companies in any vertical any vertical? What does that even mean? And, and handle not just the multi-model com- communication system, but all customers and community support, provider payment, and systems monitoring. Now, they're trying to sound complex here, but here's really what they're, what they're saying. It's very simple. Um, you can register on platform as a provider of any information. Say, you know, I'm an expert on puppies. And then when people type in, I need an expert on puppies, then your name comes up. And then whatever you price you set to talk to you per minute about puppies, uh, they keep a percentage of it, and, and uh, you, know, you who, who's giving the information about puppies to the caller get the rest of it. And that's how it right. works. It's a, but it's type a, in where? Uh, in their, they have like a little, their own little search engine. And their own thing, right? Yeah, their yeah, own little search engine. You yes. type in uh, the subject you're looking for, and then it lists the people who, who said that they're proficient in that subject. Now, this is mm-hmm. not a new innovative concept. Uh, this has existed for years, I think probably about a decade, maybe even more. I've seen sites like this 
to show you how old this concept is, I have an ex-girlfriend that I dated back in 1990. Now, it's not that old, but uh, uh, she died in 2006 uh, of a heart attack, a fluke heart attack. She died. And uh, she was working, she, she was doing some of this back then. So in 2006, uh, she was doing this. And here we are in 2015. And, uh, and so Platform is acting like uh, there's something new and exciting, but this has been going on forever. Uh, in addition... I was told by this ex-girlfriend who wasn't personally doing this, but she told me about this uh, this, plat- this platform she was using. It wasn't platform, the company, it was, but, uh, but she told me about the system she was using. Uh, they also had a lot of phone sex on there. A lot of these, quote, experts were phone sex experts. So <laughs> you would type in phone sex, and that's where you'd get the most people. So that's th- this was really like a cover to mostly provide phone sex for independent providers. The, the old model of phone sex back in the 80s was that they would all sit in the same room, basically, and they just had their cubicles, right. and and they'd be doing phone sex from a physical office, and uh, then it graduated to a model where they can actually have these phone sex operators working from home, like in the '90s, where where it would just forward the call to wherever the phone sex operator was at home. Uh, but now, and and even for the last ten or more years, a lot of these phone sex operators are actually working for themselves. And, uh, and just sign up on a service like this who takes a percentage to connect them and the client. And the, the service also handles all the payment too. So that's basically what they're saying is we'll take the payment. We'll give you your percentage. We'll keep our percentage. And uh, you know we'll put your name up for the search results when people type whatever uh, they're looking for. So that, that's all platform is. So is, is Seabock consulting on that as well? Because I remember reading some of those emails or texts uh, when that picture got released. <laughs> yeah, he, he may be able to lend. That's it right. He, he, maybe he should do phone sex. Yeah, he was he was pretty good at typing out those uh, the, the 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 sexting scenarios there. So uh, yeah, maybe he should be doing it. But uh, yeah, he's quote director of marketing there, and I'm not sure what that really means or what he's really doing. But uh, platform, according to their LinkedIn page, is a company of 11 to 50 people. So that's a pretty wide range. 11 is pretty small. 50 is still small, but at least. Yeah, a little more substantial. And it's located on Market Street in San Francisco, which is a pretty uh, well-known street in downtown San Francisco. So I guess Joe kind of has what he wants again. He's working in a trendy location at, at some sort of uh, you know Internet startup. He's, quote, director of marketing. I, I don't think he plays poker anymore. He does list on his LinkedIn that uh, one of his past jobs was at Sirius. <laughs> But I guess he feels that if he doesn't list it, people are going to give him a hard time for covering it up or something. So I guess he's pretending like he has nothing to hide. So Maybe. He still has almost a million Twitter followers. So Yeah, that's pretty rigged. marketing for you. Yeah, someone rigged that for him. Yeah, he knew someone who worked there. Right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember, I remember uh, Shane Schlager, when he was bashing him, uh, talked about his, quote, rigged-ass Twitter account, which is what it was. <laughs> but, uh, you know... I don't have a desire to call a platform and talk shit about Joe because he's doing what I want, and that is staying out of poker. And that, that's what I want for all these people who were involved right. in these scandals in any way, either in the cheating itself or in the covering it up or, or the moving the money around on purpose to, you know, to try to let the cheaters withdraw. Whatever their role was, anyone who had a role in, in either the act or the cover-up, I want them out of poker. I don't want them any way involved in poker. And, uh, you know, if, if so, they, yeah, Chris Coffin, submit your resume. <laughs> yeah, so, so if, if you stay away from poker, then fine. Just just stay out of our community. Get out and stay out. 
So that's what's going on with Seabach. No word as to whether he's still uh, sexting girls he meets from Twitter. But uh, by the way, did you ever? I, I, I've listened to the show. I can't, but I don't remember. Did you ever try to call uh, Howie back? No, I haven't. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll try next week. I think I want to give it one more week before calling him again. All right. All right. So, uh, Commerce Casino. They are going to start charging for food at the middle and high limit games. Now, you may say, big deal, you know, big deal. Uh, these high limit players, why should they get free food? Why shouldn't the lower limit players get free food? You know, what, why do they deserve this? Why are you bitching about this? Well, the problem is that commerce charges substantially more rake at their high limit games and their mid limit games than the competition does. They do. It's very expensive to play there. Um, the the rake is extremely high. The time charge is extremely high. If you compare the same games to Vegas casinos, it's 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 almost double. And they do obnoxious things like you know at the rake games they actually will drop two dollars. Would you believe if there's no flop? One for the jackpot of which they keep a lot of that pool, and and one for just the house. Oh really? There's no no flop, no drop no. in uh, California. Oh, in Jesus. fact, I I had to object the last time I was there. I was playing forty eighty heads up. I, I couldn't stand it. I'm like, we can't play this. We can't have it every time someone folds to each other before the flop. Heads up, it's yeah. two bucks. We can't have this. This is a joke. So, and then we, you know, so I, I talked them into lowering the rake, but it was still outrageous. And uh, but forgetting heads up, I mean, uh, the rake is just so high there. And the one thing that they have there that they don't have in Vegas is free food, unlimited free food. And they had a pretty liberal policy about getting that free food. Uh, What do I mean by that? I mean that um, they weren't hard asses about you having to be in the game or uh, verifying that you're really a top section player. Of course, I I was anyway, but uh, like, let's say you're just hanging around the top section room in commerce. The top section room is not like a small room. There's two very large rooms in the commerce casino, and one of them is the high limit room, which is known as the top section. So it's a very, yeah, very large room. I haven't been there in 10 years, but when I was there, it was just kind of a raised area, you know, it, but in full view of the normal room. It's gigantic. So it's bigger than most poker rooms that uh, exist, you know, for all the games. I mean, it's, it's a very, very big right. room. So the top section room, which houses 2040 limit games and above, not just limit hold'em, but any limit, any limit game they're offering uh, and above, as well as 1020 no limit and above. And I think maybe some PLOs there, too. Anyway, uh, if you're playing in that room, if you are waiting for a game in that room, if you're just hanging out in that room and, and you happen to look like you belong, or if you're the wife or girlfriend or friend of someone playing and you're just sitting by them, they will give you free food. They don't ask, what are you playing? They, they don't ask for anything. If you're there, if you don't look like you're taking advantage, they, they don't ask questions. They just give it to you. And that's been their policy since they opened since that, that top section room opened in uh, 2002. So that was one nice benefit. In addition to being able to order just unlimited food, pretty much just for tipping the, the server, uh, you could also do it for whatever friends or uh, you know, significant, significant others that you have there with you. So that doesn't quite cover all the extra rake you're going to be paying, but at least it was a nice perk. Well, that nice perk's going away. Starting March 1st, 2015, there will be no more free food for anyone. Now, they will be doing one positive thing to semi-negate this, 
and that is they are changing what they're giving you on the Players Club card. Currently, the player, or not currently, prior to 2015, if you used your Players Club card, you got a whopping 25 cents per hour on the card. <laughs> no matter how high you played. And in addition to getting that 25 cents per hour, could you withdraw that 25 cents in cash? No, you could only spend it on uh, you know, things around commerce. Well, that's standard. I, I know. It's just, it's just funny. You earn 25 cents and all you can do. Some places actually would let you cash it out, but this place, no. Could not cash it out, and you could only spend it on things, mostly food there, of which you get for free anyway. So uh, most high-limit players didn't even bother with the card. Well, it's time to start bothering with a card because starting January 1st, they are giving you $1.50 per hour, uh, which is comparable to what they give in places like Bellagio. Uh, $1.50 per hour for 2040 through 6120, and 100, 200 and above will earn $2 per hour. Not sure what they're doing for the no-limit games, probably something similar. And this will go toward paying for food, which will now be at the regular prices for the high-limit players. They'll just earn money on the card now. Uh, the problem here is that uh, this really punishes the people that don't play super long sessions. If you play there 15 hours at a time, yeah, you'll earn enough money probably to pay for the food. But if you show up for four hours, five hours at a time, and you want to have a meal, you're going to have to pay for it because you're not going to earn enough money. Like, you know, $7.50 is not going to be enough to pay for a meal there unless you get something very small. So, uh, like, why do that? You're, you're charging so much rake. Why make these players pay anything for the food? Now, I think a good middle ground would have been just clamping down on people ordering. I don't know if this is really a problem there. I haven't really seen it be a problem. But if they're concerned that people are ordering food without playing much or playing at all, then just institute a requirement. You can only order food if you're a seated player at a game. If you're waiting, you can't, unless you want to pay. If you're just a girlfriend or a wife or you know, a friend of someone playing, you can't do it. Um, even if they want to put some kind of limit so you can't just say, oh, this is all for me. Like, you know, the most you could order is... Uh, uh, you know, $20 worth of food with, you know, at one time. I, I, I could see if they were to tighten the rules on this. That would be fair. But I think this is really crappy given how much rake they charge that they're punishing anyone who doesn't play a super long session to earn their food. I think they've already earned it with the extra rake they're paying. Right. Now, at the beginning of the segment, you said that the rake is high in California, right? So is their rake higher than, say, the bike? I'm not sure. You know, I, I think the rake is pretty comparable with the low-limit games to everywhere else, even Vegas. Just the rake is just high everywhere for that, but, uh, you know, compared to the limits you're playing. But the higher limits, I they just don't have many high-limit games or mid-limit games uh, elsewhere in, Calif- in Southern California. And I, I, I haven't played enough at other places to know this, but I, all I know is that compared to Vegas... The rake is ridiculously high, and uh, I would think that's the least they could do. And all these other places give you free food in the top section, so it's not even like uh, commerce oh, is doing do. something unusual. So, okay. uh, so I don't understand why they're doing this. Commerce just is not changing with the times. I've been to the top section. It's it's a ghost town. It's not totally empty, but it's not to, except during the LA Poker Classic. It's it's fairly empty there. It's definitely uh, bleeding away players like Bitcoin is bleeding value. They're not doing anything to change it, and they, they're very, very inflexible there about everything. 
Uh, like, like to get them to change the rake and this heads up when we were doing the 4080 there, boy, that was hard to get them to do. They, they finally did it when we just, both me and the other guys said, we're not doing it then. But, uh, and thankfully the other guy said that because he was a fish, but I convinced him to, to you know, refuse. But, uh, boy, it was tough to get them to agree to that. And uh, they just don't ever want to, uh, like, like I've seen it before where uh, a game goes short and people say, hey, can you give us a pass on the time charge? Because, you know, once you pay the time charge, you, you're, unless the game just broke, you know, it's, it's hard to get the money back. You're paying for the future half hour. So you say, hey, the game's short. Can you give us a free half hour here to uh, keep the game going? And and they used to always do that. But now now they're getting tougher and tougher with giving those free half hours. And, and sometimes everyone will say, hey, look, seriously, if you make us pay rake this time, we're leaving. They'll say, nope, I'm sorry, there's, there's five players here, we have to charge you. They, yeah, but one of these guys has been gone for 45 minutes. Nope, still have to charge you and still have to take his rake because his, his chips are at the table. It's like they, they don't think about the bigger picture. They don't even think about the, the short-term picture that uh, if they give the extra half hour now that the game will keep going. If everybody leaves, it doesn't. And uh, um, mm-hmm. I've just seen in general that these rooms are very inflexible, that they uh, – they actually raise the rake when they should be lowering it, or at the very least keeping it the same. When the games are dying, you don't raise the rake. That just pushes more people out. And um, I'll give you an example. Uh, and by, well, Two examples. First of all, I don't know specifically what caused this, but uh, Hollywood Park, which got very arrogant and inflexible and pissed people off, they lost their business to commerce. They still exist, but they're a major has-been. And they, they were once the commerce of Southern California. And then commerce rose up and passed them because Hollywood Park had a bad attitude at the time and commerce was a little more flexible. Uh, Another example, a personal example I have, the Hustler Casino in the L.A. area, they were trying to get a 50-100 game going. The highest they had was 25-50 limit. The problem was commerce's 60-120, which is obviously a a comparable game, had a time charge and 50-100 at Hustler had a rake. And a rake is much worse. For the player, that is. So I told them at Hustler, you're never going to get people in this game. You're not going to get people to leave commerce and come here if you're charging a lot more rake. You have to make it better here, not worse here, for people to want to leave what they're used to. Right. And they didn't listen to me. They're, no, 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 we have to charge rake for this reason, blah, blah, management this, management that. Like, I'm like, look, I'm telling you this game's not going to ever get going. It's not going to take off. It's not going to become a regular game unless you bring people over here, give them a reason to leave commerce and come here. They didn't listen to me. They didn't listen to others who were saying the same thing. Within a few weeks, that game was gone, never to return. Why? Lack of players. Well, of course. So all they had to do here was make it a time charge, maybe charge a dollar less than commerce. They would have had a shot. Instead, no, we have to do rake for this reason, that reason. No kind of legal reason. Just they they decided they're going to have to do rake. Right. And and this has happened online, too. A site is the biggest. They become inflexible. And then, you know, I'm thinking of Paradise back in the day. But so do you foresee this then, you know, shifting higher limited games to another location? I think probably not because commerce is so far ahead of the others as far as its size and it's so well established at this point. But I do see it's going to bleed away players in general. I I think it's not going to help them. I think this is a dumb change that's going to get people angry. Someone said in the thread when I posted about this, uh, I I think there's going to be a backlash and they're going to change. 
And I, I said, you know what, you'd think that, but no. They're, they're not going to. They, re- they rarely acknowledge over there, hey, we made a mistake. We're going to roll back something. We're not going to change this. They, they always think what they did is right, and they always think that they're right and the players are wrong, and uh, I think it's going to hurt them. They probably won't until they see you know, less bodies at the table. Yeah, but then they'll probably blame the economy. They, they find a way to exploit I have a feeling this is a permanent change. Maybe if there's a dramatic loss of players, then yes. But if it's just like a, a slow bleed away of players, they go, well, we were having that anyway. It's because poker is losing popularity, blah, blah, blah. You know, They'll find a way to excuse it. So uh, I think it's just dumb. Uh, someone else pointed out, Mike Schneider, also known as Schneid, a uh, good limit player for Minnesota. Uh, he's been around forever. And he pointed out something interesting, that he thinks the servers there are going to make a lot less money because the servers were getting big tips because the poker players were thinking, hey, I don't pay for the food, so I might as well leave a generous tip. Uh, he was saying that pretty much the auto tip, as he called it, was $5, that they, the high limit players, no matter what they ordered, would just hand a 5 to the server uh, for the food. And you say, oh, $5, that doesn't sound like a big tip. Well, you think of a server, you think of a regular restaurant, where the server is coming around, they're refilling your drinks, they're asking you anything else, they're asking, you know, they're bringing you the appetizer, and then and then later they're going to bring you the, the the main course and then the dessert. There, uh, the server is coming by many many times and taking care of you during the meal. Mm-hmm. A commerce server does not do that. A commerce server says, "What would you like?" You tell them, they write it down, you wait. About twenty five minutes later, they come back with a bunch of food all at once, drop it in front of you. And that's it. They leave. You never see them again. And that's expected. It's not like these are the bad servers. That's what they all do. That's what they are doing. They're just delivering food to you. They're not really servers. They're food delivery people. They're food right. order takers and delivery people. So, any casino anywhere. That's yeah. So I'm not, you're right. So I'm not criticizing that. But, but I'm saying here that they're not equivalent to a restaurant server and I don't think should be tipped like a restaurant server. They're doing a lot less. They get to serve a lot more people in a short time for that reason. Uh, so I, I think when, when they're – bringing you a free meal worth like $10, $15, uh, a $5 tip is, is very, very large for that, especially given how many they do of this per hour to different people. So I, I just don't think that's worth $5 what they're doing. So uh, I I always gave them like 3 or $4. For a while I was giving 5 and I thought, this, this is just too much. And, and so I, I lowered it to like 3 or 4 And boy, let me tell you, they were so unappreciative. They, they would roll their eyes. They would really say thank you and just snatch it out of my hand. Um, very, very unappreciative for, for just bringing me my food, you know, walking their food over to me that, that somehow the 3 or $4 is not worth it. It's not like they're bringing me a, a $200 gourmet meal for free. This, this is a, yeah, a cafeteria-type food that they're bringing you. And uh, I, I just – I thought that was uh, – I, I thought they developed an entitled attitude over there, and so I don't even feel bad that uh, – they're not going to make as much. And someone questioned me about that in the thread saying, hey, you know, it's just an extra dollar. You have a lot more money these people. Why, why are you stiffing them with that dollar? And I said, look, I, I don't think the job's worth that. And if you really want to help someone who needs the money, save that dollar and, you know, hand it to a porter or a janitor or someone around there that, uh, that doesn't get tipped very often and that's uh, much worse off than the servers are. So, I'll bet they made a lot of money. I mean – if you think like the average cocktail waitress in Vegas makes about 80k a year. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, a dollar at a time, just dollar dollar, you know. So they're doing $5 with every food drop. 
Yeah, and they drop yeah, several. Yeah, that was probably a lucrative job. If they drop several at once, I call. I don't care yeah. if they drop several at once. It doesn't get me mad or anything. That's fine. I don't care as long as they bring my food. I don't care if they got other stuff on the tray. But I'll see them bring a giant tray over, and they'll take my food off. Then they'll walk to another guy, a table over, give him his food. Like they'll bring out like three or four meals at once on this big tray. They're like, oh, they've just made twenty bucks. Like, I give me that job. <laughs> yeah. But I think them. your friend is right. This will have the same effect because. They're seeing it as, well, I just got a whole meal for five bucks, so this is still yeah. good. Just like when you get, you know, a drink at a casino in Vegas, uh, yeah, that might that drink might only even be worth a dollar, and they still tip a dollar. Yeah. So the, the tips are going to go down to probably a dollar a meal. So they've just lost, uh, <laughs> I, you know, eighty percent of their wages. Well, yeah, I think they probably get more than that, but yeah, I, I bet the deal, I bet when it comes to signing for it, yeah, like when it says, uh, um, you know, here's your food, you know, $13, please. I bet they're not going to hand them 18. I, I bet they'll no, hand them like 16. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, it's going to hurt them, but good. You know, they, I, I, what really pissed me off is how they didn't thank me or acted angry like I screwed them by giving them three or four. And that just annoyed me in here. Matt the Rat is calling. Let's see what he has to say. Matt the Rat, hello. Hey, how's it going? So we have uh, two Canadians on the phone with me. I'm in the minority here. We have uh, Daredevil, <laughs> the, uh, uh, and you're both from BC, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I actually play at the same casino sometimes, but I've just never uh, run into Daredevil. Yeah, I've seen I've seen Matt around, but he's you know usually been in the middle of something. But uh... okay, so what's what's going on, Matt? Um, hey, I've got a total rewards kind of question. I noticed last year, like when I booked my trip for the WSOP, I just I stayed over at Bally's, but mm-hmm. I had um, the hotel was comped for about ten days. Now I'm, and I I actually earned my diamond uh, by playing in the pits there, and this year I'm looking at staying at the Rio, and I looked at the, um, and I looked at Matt. Uh oh, Daredevil, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. I think we lost Matt. Hmm. Uh, I I was afraid the whole internet fell on my side. I was like, oh crap, here goes the show. But no, it, it's okay. But, By the uh, way, there's a great uh, quote in chat here. Lou Father says that uh, uh, the commerce took a look at your live at the bike session, and uh, that's why they decided to stop, start limiting the food there. That's true. I, I think I think maybe I'm at fault here. I ordered so much food that like we're going to go out of business if this guy keeps coming here. So. Well, oh, there he is. Hello. All right. So uh, Matt the Rat, uh, you, you were starting, but then you uh, it just. We didn't hear you anymore. You went silent. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. I last year when I stayed at uh, Bally's for the WSOP, it was the the rooms were was comped a hundred percent. This year I'm I'm looking at Bally's or the Rio, and a lot of days are comped, but the weekends are not. I mean, they're still discounted heavily. But is that something you've noticed? Is there starting to be a little less leeway there, or? Well, I I don't know. Uh, you know, since I'm the seven star status and I get it uh, for free. Uh, I don't notice that, but I'll tell you this from what I've seen in the past. Uh, first of all, they like to say you can't fight City Hall. You also can't fight Total Reward. So whatever the computer assigns using various criteria whether you are entitled to a comp room on a given date, and there's no arguing with that. You either get it or you don't. Now, you can go to a host if you've been playing some things in the pits or whatever that would justify them wanting you on property then a host can overrule that and say, uh, 
you know, separately, hey, we're giving you this room. But that's different than the total rewards giving you the room is different than a host giving you the room. Uh, uh, total rewards giving it to you is like a, a computer marketing thing where no individual is attached to it. When the host gives it to you as a human being making the decision who can get in trouble for giving rooms that uh, uh, where the person's play doesn't justify it. So, uh, and in fact, they're kind of judged on an overall basis of what resources they're giving away, the value of those resources, and the play that these people brought in in what they call theoretical loss, where it doesn't matter what you actually win or lose, but what they, what you would lose on an average basis based upon the odds, and uh, and they add that together, and if the host is giving away too much and generating too little in theoretical losses, then they get fired. So for that reason, hosts. Some are, are more strict than others on this, but uh, hosts will try to look and see if they feel you qualify to give you a free room on their own when total rewards won't do it. Whereas the total rewards uh, offers of free rooms, those can go on for a long time without you playing at all. And and uh, if you don't play at all, nobody gets in trouble for it because it's a computer offering it to you, and obviously uh, you know the computer can't get I, in trouble. I got it. Like JSTAT mentioned there in the chat, I did check online. That's where I was checking, and... Now, would it make a difference? My diamond runs out in March. If I if I check after March, is that going to be is that going to make a big difference? No, it, it won't make a difference no. at all. Uh, the, the tier level and the offers you get are completely separate. And I know someone yes. with a gold card, a gold card, who gets much better offers than I do as a seven star. Yes, because your room comp offers are based on your what they call the theo, which is the average theoretical daily loss. So. You could have just—I mean, uh, nobody knows exactly how it's calculated, but I mean, you could have been in there for one day and just made a bunch of, you know, high bets. But you know, you only played blackjack for whatever an hour, so you haven't earned enough tier credits to get any kind of different card. But you know, you might have put on the table and run through thousands, ten thousand, hundred thousand dollars, and so your average theoretical daily loss is quite high, even though. Your tier credits are low. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I, I want to uh, make it even simpler. The uh, level you are at total rewards, whether gold, platinum, diamond, seven star, that's all kind of a a marketing gimmick, which has absolutely nothing to do with your offer. It just it's just to give you certain guaranteed benefits that are yeah, the very perks, sp- the the ten percent off here, yeah, the cut or, the buffet yeah, line there. Yeah, Those yeah. are the only things that the because they know that I mean the locals there, you know, I'm sure they grind out you even get points for playing actual hold'em. So I'm sure some guy's a diamond card from playing two four. Well they don't give a shit if that guy comes back. So he doesn't get any free rooms, but you know, he gets to cut the cafe line or whatever. Yeah, so, so two, can you still cut the line if you just you flash your card but it's expired like and they don't know. Yeah, they, yeah, no. they, they probably well, won't know the difference. Depends if they check. I they mean. probably won't. Honestly, they uh um you just flash the diamond card if they almost never look at the expiration to be honest. So so yeah, you should save the diamond card for reasons like that if it expires. But uh so uh, once in a while they may catch it, but you can also you can always say, "Oh, I'm, I'm just sorry." Just play dumb. Oh, I, d- I didn't know it expired. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah. you're not likely to be caught with that. But, in fact, to show you how little they really care about that, they have these companion cards you can get for seven stars. Like I got I got one for my father that just uh, – he's, allow- he's actually allowed to stand in the seven stars lines by having a seven star companion card uh, that he gets by being, quote, my companion, who could be anybody. It doesn't have to be a romantic companion, obviously. But uh, um, So they give that away. So they, they don't really check on these things. But um, – 
yeah, people, that's a big misconception. They go, oh, I'm diamond. I should be getting great offers. Oh, I'm seven star. I should be getting excellent offers. Not true. Offers and your tier level have absolutely nothing to do with one another. And and what do you what do you suggest? I always found that you know it sounds like obvious, but booking earlier, at least from from when I check online, is is a little cheaper. Obviously, if you wait a week before you go, but I'm just saying, like if I book in January, is it going to be substantially cheaper than booking in March if well, I'm going in uh, June? Or I, I I would say not necessarily, but it can't hurt because you can always cancel for a full refund. So. Yeah. Uh, there's no there's no harm in fact this is why I always advise people don't go for those stupid offers about getting you know prepay now for a non-refundable room and get 20% off or 15% off it sounds great but it isn't because if they re-rate the room uh then then you can't get the better rates then you're you're locked in and what is the usual cancellation fee if, like, you book for a week and a half? Zero, as long as you do it within, as long as you in advance. Yeah, as long as you do it like within like two days or three days. Yeah, I think it's forty-eight hours. Notice yeah, yeah. So it's totally for, for this, Caesars. This is what I do all the time for my vacations. I mean, not, obviously not for Vegas because I get that free, but but uh, other places I go, I will book in advance, and then I will watch the prices like a hawk. And the second the price drops, I call up and go, "Okay, re-rate my room, please." And they, of course they do it because if they don't, I can just cancel and rebook. And then uh, I, I just keep watching, and this way I'm guaranteed whatever the lowest price is of what I see. So if, it's, if it springs back up, they can't charge me more because I have the confirmation saying I get it at that price. But if it goes down, I can call up and say, hey, lower it. So that's why it's always nicer to have these flexible ones where you can cancel all the way up to like two days before. The only time I think it's a good thing to do that prepaid thing is if it's, it is like two days before and it's unlikely to drop anymore from that point. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, because I was just looking at booking and – I was like, this is weird. Last year I got it for free, and this year it's not. Yeah, but... I, I don't know if you've been playing at all, like in the pits, but if you have, you may want to take a shot at calling a host and, and say. No, last year I just I played in the pits a bit, but just WSOP. And the year before that, I went twice, and one was, you know, poker in the pits, and I think I played more. That's where I got. The better offer, maybe. Yeah, if it's been over a year, I mean, you can always try. It's not. It's not going to hurt. They're not going to do anything to you if they no. If they say no, uh, but uh, yeah, if it was, if the pit action you gave was in 2013 or something, then you're not going to get yeah. uh, very much. But uh, it may be worth a shot. You may get a host every once in a while who'll say, "Okay, you can be surprised." That usually they'll just say, "Oh no, your play doesn't justify it. I can just give you the casino rate." Uh, and that's the other thing. Sometimes they can offer you a quote casino rate, which may or may not be better than the rate that they're offering on total rewards. So. Can you get a can you get a host like just phone them up and say hey I want to get a host because yeah, like, I never got one when yeah, I was yeah I just got I like the host on duty ah okay okay yeah okay well that's about it I guess kind of had questions about that or if anybody else wanted to know the same info it's just it's kind of weird how the price is always changing and I'm like well I got a better rate last year I was like yeah. free and this year I got to pay and I'm uh, well not well, you, I still got about seventy five percent off and uh, some days are calm. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed mine, like I just have a gold card, but I do get some comp days and stuff, and I've noticed the decline too. I, th- I think Caesars is just tightening the belt a bit. Yeah, they are. And, you know, raising the resort fees, dropping, you know, they probably have higher levels now for who they're going to comp. Oh, and, and you also because, you, you, know, you also want to um, – you also, if you call the host, you should really, really emphasize the play that you did – you know, if they if they say no, say well, I did all this play back in 2013, and you know, I'm all the way in Canada. I can't I can't come very often, but I plan to play this time. You can BS them, and sometimes they'll uh, they'll do it. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, well, we'll see you in, uh, um, Daredevil. You, you said you don't play a lot of tournaments, right? I I pretty much never play tournaments. Uh, okay. I, I, unless I'm with a friend and they want to put me in, uh, stake me or whatever. But uh, no, it's just... Yeah, I I'm the opposite. I play mostly strictly tournaments and, and no cash. But, uh, yeah. The craps, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it goes in spurts. It's kind of like uh, I stop by if I'm on shift for work. If I'm on night shift and I got nothing to do, I'll stop by. But it goes in spurts. It's kind of like you have one big winning session and then you have a bunch of small losing ones and then you stop for a while. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I'll be sure to say hi next time yeah. I uh, see you. Yeah. Okay, guys. See you later. Okay. Bye. Thank you. All right, see you, Matt. Matt the Rat with some uh, total rewards questions about Caesar's properties. So let's uh, let's go back to the what we have here. Uh, Jay Stat saying rumors that resort fees will apply to Diamond members soon too. That'd be uh, really I get people it. angry. I don't think so either. But if that if that happens, there's going to be a lot of anger. Uh, oh, here's here's something I I was not putting on the schedule, but I think is appropriate to talk about since it uh, has to do with Matt's call in a way, indirectly. Uh, at Caesar's Palace, they have done away with the. Augustus Tower entrance. It's a side entrance you could use and use valet parking to uh, be right at the front desk for the Augustus and Octavius Towers. Very convenient if that's where you're staying. Those are the best two towers in Caesars. That's been done away with as of January 2nd. They just uh, they killed it. Also, for anyone who has to pay the resort fee, um, Caesars, who like six weeks ago said we're just going to have a flat fee, it's 25 bucks at all our Vegas properties. They just decided last week, nah, that's not good. We're going to increase them. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, 20, it's like 29 plus tax much. now. It's like it's uh, it's crazy. Almost all their properties uh, have gone up. I think the lower ones are still 25. Your hair is your flamingos, your Rio. But anything above that, I think even Bally's is like 28. Plant Hollywood's 29. Caesar's 32. Paris, something similar. So, and yeah, unfortunately, just... it's, it's not even completely their fault. Because um, the reason they're doing this, the reason these resort fees exist at Caesars Properties is because it exists everywhere else. And the way typical people look for hotel rooms is by going on a site like Kayak or Trivago, and they, they see a big list from you know lowest price to highest price and uh, and pick the property that they know of being decent that's at the lowest price. So. So, yeah, the very lowest price ones are going to be the shitholes downtown and elsewhere, but people are going to go, I, I want to stay at those places. But then they'll see something like the Monte Carlo, which seems like it's probably okay, and that's listed as way cheaper than something like you know, Planet Hollywood or Bally's. And they'll go, hey, these are all kind of comparable. I'm going to go to the one Monte Carlo because it's a lot cheaper. Well, the reason it shows up cheaper is not because it actually is cheaper, but because – the Monte Carlo has resort fees, and Caesars properties used to not have resort fees, or used to have lower resort fees. And they realize that if they're charging lesser resort fees or no resort fees, that they're further down in the list, and it makes it look like their property is more expensive when it's actually the same or even cheaper. So in order to show up on the list properly, according to what the price really is, they had to raise the resort fees. And then it becomes this vicious cycle where all these properties keep raising resort fees yeah. To have a a misleadingly low price, and they're both doing it to you know to out uh, outdo the other. So uh, the only way to stop this is to have laws passed, and these really do need to be passed. That any quoted price online or anywhere else 
is the only mandatory price you have to pay to stay in the room. And right, is, like like they had to do with the airline industry yeah. because all these little tack-on fees were getting ridiculous. Yeah, so it had to be like if you're quoted uh, $59 a night, then all you pay is 59 a night plus tax, and that's it. You cannot be charged any other mandatory fee. They can say, hey, you can't have free internet, you can't have free phone calls, but they cannot yeah. say that you have to pay this fee to stay here. And that's the way it used to be, and all those things used to be a la carte. So it was – you want the internet for 24 hours, that's 10 bucks. You want to use the gym, you know, it's 10 bucks a day. You know, everything was, was portioned out. And then they brought in these resort fees and said, hey, we're doing you a favor, buddy. This would all cost, you know, $40, but we're putting it in one package for 20 So, yeah. you know, aren't you happy? But, of course, only less than 1% of people would actually use all those things every single night they're staying in a hotel. Yeah, and it's not just so, that. It should be, you know, if they're forcing you to buy these things, it's not a resort fee. It's, it's part of the fee at the hotel. I mean, how yeah. long till they start charging you a, a bedding fee and a cleaning the toilet fee and a toilet paper fee and a, you know everything else? So like, like, where does it stop? So they really just have to pass a law that whatever price you're quoted, that other than government taxes on top of it, that they cannot charge you a penny more as a mandatory price. And that's the only way to stop it, and I hope one day that happens because it's getting out of control. So people are getting really mad at Caesars going, oh, Caesars, uh, high resort fees, I hate you. Uh, I don't even hate Caesars for this because they're doing this because everyone else is, and if they don't, they get crushed. I I hated the bullshit when they brought it back and they said people demanded it back. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, another reason they do that – in relation to these Expedia type sites is they don't have to cut them in on the resort fees. So when they raise the resort fee, they get a dollar for every dollar. Yeah. They don't have to split that with Expedia because you don't pay the resort fees when you book through Expedia. You pay it when you arrive at the hotel. Yeah. It's, it's a way, it is a way to screw Expedia and to screw travel agents. And uh, the cruise industry actually did this a while ago by introducing what's called the NCF, the non-commissioned fare which is, um, again, something separate. Now, it's different than a resort fee because uh, when you look at prices for cruises, they don't break it out. It actually is all included as one price. But uh, it screws the travel agents because they don't get commission on the part that's that's deemed non-commissioned fare. And if you have a free voucher to have a cruise, then you have to pay the non-commissioned fare, and they don't really tell you that's what you're paying. They claim you're paying, quote, taxes and fees. But what they're not telling you is that the fees part is really the non-commissioned fare. I see. Yeah. Well, if you want to vote with your wallet and you're staying on the strip, (laughs) there's one place left with no resort fee, the fabulous Casino Royale. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) So uh, if you want your room to smell like Subway, enjoy. That's the least of the problems there. All right. (laughs) So so, uh, let me tell you about someone who uh, also – was involved in some pretty gross stuff. <laughs> Steve Croft, who did the online poker segment for 60 Minutes in 2008, a segment where I was prominently featured. In fact, of all the people featured in it, of all the poker players that were interviewed, I was the one featured the most. I'm not trying to brag here. I mean, I was the uh, one who was there the most. I actually kind of wish they featured me less because they took me a little bit out of context at the end. And... Uh, uh, they not so much out of context, but they cut what I said. They cut the most important part of my statement where I said that they need to license and regulate it, and they just kind of cut it off to make it look like I'm warning everyone about the other sites. But at the same time, I kind of was warning people about the other sites, saying that until there's licensing and regulation, that this will keep happening. And indeed it did because the full tilt thing came uh, three days later, uh, three, day, three years later. Um, 
so Steve Croft was the one who did the segment, and he was the one who interviewed me. I'm going to play a little of the segment. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's uh, old news from uh, over six years ago, but here he is. In the wild, wild west, when a poker player was caught cheating, it was a capital offense with a punishment quickly dispensed right across the card table. But today, if you're caught cheating in the popular and lucrative world of Internet poker, you may get away scot-free. At least that seems to be what's happening in the biggest scandal in the history of online gambling. A small group of people managed to cheat players out of more than $20 million, and it would have gone undetected if it hadn't been for the players themselves, who used the Internet to root out the corruption. As a joint investigation by 60 Minutes and the Washington Post reveals, it raises new questions about the integrity and security of the shadowy and highly profitable business that operates outside U.S. law. So that's uh, Steve Croft. Funny enough, I'm playing this from a YouTube video. Just the first thing that came up is 60 Minutes Online Poker. This was posted by an account named PS Forums, um, and that stands for uh, PokerStrategyForums.com. But the, the picture they're using, the little YouTube picture, which usually is the picture of the person of the account, uh, it's my picture. <laughs> I can't believe this. It's my own picture on the guy's account. PS is Forums is using is my picture. Is there a champagne I, bottle next to you? How dare they? No. Jeez, oh, <laughs> I can't believe this. So, anyway, uh, so here's my comment at the end. Uh, let me get to this here. Bet failed to respond to complaints. The online poker community undertook its own investigation. We knew for sure there was cheating going on. We just didn't know who was responsible. And I thought, oh, never mind. That's, uh, I thought that was the end. There's the middle. Okay, screw it. So, um, anyway, the, the point is here that uh, Steve Croft was the one who did this. That's why this is a story on this show. Always seemed kind of like a straight-laced guy. Uh, older guy. He's now 69 years old. When he did this interview, he was still in his 60s. Uh, he's gotten himself involved in a, a pretty ugly scandal here. A little bit embarrassing as well. Let me get to this here. It's a sex scandal. And as you might guess, uh, a sex scandal involves him uh, having a mistress. You may say, oh, what's the big deal? You know, a lot of people on TV cheat on their wives. Why is this even a segment? Well, the story here, which is on Gawker.com, is entitled the following. Steve Croft guzzled champagne from his mistress's ass. Yes. You heard it right. Steve Croft guzzled champagne from his mistress's ass. So apparently uh, a woman by the name of uh, Jenny, or sorry, no, that's his wife is named Jenny Conant, but uh, he's been cheating on her with a Manhattan lawyer named Lisanne Goines for over three years. Now, Lisanne Goines is only 41, I'm not sure what race she is. She's not white. She kind of looks black, but not like completely black. I, I, I don't. It's kind of a. She looks yeah mixed. I would guess. But. Yeah, kind of mixed. Uh, looks like some black, something else. But uh, 
Uh, now, Goins, apparently he ended the affair because she felt that uh, Steve Croft was too needy uh, because uh, she, you know, she was married, too. And she was happy with just you know messing around with a guy. I, I don't know what what she saw in him. With you know why, why have like a a booty call with a sixty nine year old? It's kind of weird. But uh, uh, she was happy with that arrangement. Just just messing around with him on the side. She didn't want to leave her husband. He, you know, he, she didn't want him to leave his wife. Uh, and, and but she felt he was getting too needy, so she finally told him it was best for it to end. Uh, anyway, the. Uh, so the, the National Enquirer did a story on this, and he admitted it was true. It's not like a National Enquirer story where they make it up and make someone look bad for no good reason. Uh, let me get to the, the best part here about the, the champagne here. Let me get here. Okay, so um, it says this. The newsman who boasted to Goins that he was, quote, the go-to interviewer for President Obama had some particularly unusual tastes in bed, the magazine said. One time he was, quote, pouring champagne in her behind and drinking the bubbly. <laughs> That's pretty nasty. That is pretty nasty. You pour champagne in a girl's ass and then, and then drink it when it comes back out. <laughs> I, I can't even see how that's appealing. I honestly can't see how that's appealing. I, I'm not into any of that ass stuff, honestly. When it but... comes back out, that's is that what? Oh, I was picturing it like it's just coming down a cliff, you know. Well, maybe. I, I don't mean, know I, what's I, going on. But... I, I I can't say that's exactly how it happened, but I I, I kind of picture it kind of like <laughs> like landing on her asshole and then like then kind of running back down. I I don't know. Maybe. maybe oh it, boy. It's a. Uh, is it said pouring champagne in her behind, not on her behind? It's not like she, he's just pouring it on her ass and like bounces off her ass into his mouth. That wouldn't be that bad. Just yeah, kind of, I was going to say it's not. Yeah, that's totally not a big deal. That, that's yeah. like almost any other body part. Like it's almost the same as pouring it on her arm and, and into his yeah, mouth. But, sure. but but in her behind, it says. Hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> have you have you read his uh, sext messages? <laughs> so yeah, so so then uh, in a sexting session, oh, uh, Croft allegedly. Wrote this to Goins. Miss you and all that goes with it, especially my t- favorite taste in colors, pink and brown. Jeez. An- another time, uh, he asked, "What would ex- he exact? He asked, what would exactly be your preference?" And then she answered, "You all over and deep inside of me." <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, I, I like the way he phrased that. Though, what exactly would be your preference? That sounds like a sixty-nine-year-old man sexting. Also, sounds like an interview. <laughs> it's, it's, I, like you wonder what it would be like with like a seventy-year-old sexting. I, I guess that's what. I guess that's the answer. So, uh, what exactly would be your preference? <laughs> hey, props to him at sixty-nine. You know, I yeah. hope I'm in as good a shape. I wonder if he needs Viagra or if he can get it up naturally. Well, that's what I mean. Maybe, yeah. But either way, I mean, good yeah. for him. I'm wondering, like, I, I, I never found this out. What percentage of men at seventy can get it up naturally, reliably? I would, I'd guess it's pretty low. Really? I would guess so, but that's depressing. So, like, I, I mean, I'm not close to seventy, but it's just I'm thinking like 27 years from now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need Viagra. Yeah. Well, ask. I don't know. You probably can't Google it. Go on that uh, platform, whatever it is. You know what? I also wondered, like. When you're 70 and your wife's around the same age, like, do you really look at her when she's 70 and, and like, want to have sex with her? Uh, I've wondered that, too, and I kind of thought, 
Oh, maybe it's true because I'm kind of always attracted to people my age, but there's got to be a ceiling. Yeah, that's so. what I thought too. I thought I thought well, like I wasn't attracted to forty year olds before, but now I am. But like I thought, yeah, maybe at some point you're going to see an old person. And uh, you know, yeah, like, I think you would. It's also when you read all these kind of affairs and stuff, they're never also you know the, the same, same age. They're always yeah. twenty, forty years younger. So yeah. I, I would doubt that you do find a. I mean, so I, can, so I can understand being 70 and, and being able to tell the difference that, that your wife doesn't look anywhere near as good as, as 30 and 40-year-olds. But, but the question is, like, can you look at your wife when she's 70 and think, oh, yeah, I still want her. I can find her sexually attractive. Or, like, are you just kind of just doing it because that's your only choice? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would doubt it. But Yeah. It's, I think I'm starting to get closer to the age where I'm afraid this, like, this can start being a factor. Like, at the age I am now, you can still have uh, – yeah, it's still very easy to be attracted to another forty-something-year-old, but yeah, yeah, definitely. But but then you know, as you get older and older, then then it starts. They start to really start to resemble more of the grandmotherly type, and then yeah. you like start to think like you know, how can I be into this? But maybe you just change when you get older. Maybe I kind of hope so, but. Like like when I was uh, twelve years old, like if someone talked about me having sex with a twenty five year old, like I wouldn't have wanted to. I would have thought that was gross. Right. Like I was not attracted to like women in their twenties when I was twelve. I was attracted to other twelve year olds. So also when you were even when you were a teenager, didn't you think fifty was like a senior citizen? Yeah, yeah. So you know. All right. So so anyway, uh, so, so uh, he admitted to this though. Uh, this is not just rumor. He didn't admit to the ass part, but uh, he said, I had an extramarital <laughs> affair that was a serious lapse of personal judgment. Yeah, for three years. It wasn't just a lapse. Uh, and extremely hurtful to my wife and family. Uh, and for that, I have nothing but regret. My wife and I are committed to each other and are working hard to get past this and consider this a private matter. Well, it's not private anymore. That's, that's you know, if I was famous like this guy, I would be... So scared to ever cheat. I even if I wanted to, I wouldn't do it. I'd be sure I would get out somehow. Yeah, but at the same time, this isn't—I uh, don't know. I think at this time, the public is so desensitized. There's been so many scandals. Whoever has actually been impacted. Well, I, I, I don't mean so much from that. I mean from the standpoint of your, no, I mean from the standpoint of your marriage. Like, if you want to, if you actually well, do yeah. want to stay with your wife and you just want to have sex on the side, like if if you're famous, I just think you can't do it or it's going to get out. Well, I think a lot of these famous people who are married think, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if they want to stay with their wife or they just want half of, you know, what they have. But, yeah, I mean, they they may figure, hey, I'm famous, I can get so many other people who cares but yeah if you're if you're with a woman for a long time and you really love her or something and you just you know but you want to cheap for sexual reasons or whatever you like like uh the chance of keeping it quiet if you're a celebrity is much much lower so oh, that's yeah. that's one big downside to being not that i'm saying i feel sorry for them but uh i i just wonder sometimes like i like elliot spitzer when he went and uh cheated on his wife with a prostitute and he's the governor of new york he's seeing prostitutes like a and he's paying from his own bank account. Like, what, what is he doing? How, <laughs> yeah. how does he think that's not going to come back to him? It's crazy. Uh, paying on his credit card. <laughs> he didn't even try that hard to cover it up. So I, it's crazy. And that really did have a big fallout on his life. So That's true. Politician, so, different. but yeah. yeah, I know it's different. So, okay. Don't want to spend too much time. I just wanted to mention it. Because this guy interviewed me on 60 Minutes. I mean, 18 million people watched me 
talking to this guy on TV, and now I find out he's been uh, drinking champagne out of acid. It's, you know, it's pretty surprising. I actually, uh, Michael Josem's one of my Facebook friends. He's the other guy in that segment with me. He, he works for Poker Stars. He's a big, uh, you know, very ingrained in Poker Stars. He, I, I don't even bother to criticize Poker Stars <laughs> to him ever, but uh, uh, I, I sent him this story, and he, he, was, uh, he found it amusing. He, he's, he actually said to me in response, uh, uh, too bad we weren't invited to a, one of those parties. <laughs> was there champagne in the green room? Time? No, yeah. no, there wasn't. No. All right. So uh, University of Alberta, we're kind of like right in the middle of the agenda here. There's so much to talk about tonight. I know. It's 930. The University of Alberta claims to have developed a poker bot that can beat anyone. It's unbeatable. It plays perfect limit hold'em, apparently, according to their claim. Now, I already played something, a bot, that was very, very strong in heads-up limit hold'em. I'm talking about heads-up limit hold'em, not just uh, limit hold'em. I played the bot that uh, was at Caesars and elsewhere. You play it for real money in a casino. There's not many of them around anymore. I don't know why, because they did very well. But... uh, it actually learned from all the hands it would play against real players. It, it was not allowed by law to learn from a player as they play or to remember anything about a specific player, but it can learn from the aggregate of hands that it plays from real players. So uh, it got better and better, and, and boy, was it good by the end. I, I didn't even bother anymore. I just said this thing is, is super tough, whereas before, before it had some vulnerabilities I found, like it was very easy to triple check raise, which is very hard to do to a human, but I was triple check raising this thing all the time and like in one session I check, triple check raised it eight times and the perfect spot to do it was when like uh, the board would have like uh, like a queen-queen four board, like a paired board where, where it's a high card and uh, if it held a queen it was super easy to triple check raise if you could beat that. So if you had like a best kicker or he had a set, a set full, um, check raise the flop, check raise the turn, check raise the rim, it falls for every single time. Hmm. Whereas, so would, would it just be that one unit that would no, aggregate no, they, they, the data they, they, or the whole network? No, no, the whole network would. They would, they would have updates every so often. I'm not sure how they do it, but they would, it would update with all the hands that they, that all the bots played. So it, uh, it not only first, it started off learning by playing itself for like a billion hands or something. Right. And then, then it learned further. And this is where it really got tough by playing a ton of hands against real people. So, uh, and as I said, the state law, it forbade it from learning against individual players. It can't adjust to your game that you're playing against it currently, or adjust against you specifically for next time you play, but it can adjust to everybody together playing. Right. So, so and it did, and it got uh, since a lot of us play you know, fairly similarly, it, uh, it it gets a lot better. So, uh, a lot of the exploits that it had uh, that you had against it were, went away, and it became very tough. So, uh, but this is what's weird. Uh, the University of Alberta has been doing this for a while. They're they're acting in this article like this is a, a huge breakthrough. So, I, I guess they published a paper in January 2014. I don't know why this became a, a big story now. Uh, but that that um, they laid out. I guess it's a big story because they finally built it. They they laid out an algorithm in a paper in January 2014, and then they actually built it. And the thing played billions of hands against itself. 
just like the bot did at, uh, uh, that they ran in the casinos. And um, it, I guess the difference with this one is they're claiming it totally solved the full game of Texas Hold'em. And they claim that it needed 262 terabytes, that's uh, like 262,000 gigabytes of memory to hold all the different configurations that can take place in a Texas Hold'em game. So it it just, uh, it pretty much analyzed every possible situation in Limit Hold'em and figured out the optimal play, according to the University of Alberta. Uh, so uh, this was done by you know, PhD students there in, in computer science. So they're insisting that it is unbeatable, that in the long run there is no way to beat this thing, that it plays so perfectly it's unexploitable, that it has figured out always the perfect actions to take. Now, I remember the when the uh, developers of the poker bot were posting on 2 Plus 2, they were saying that they developed a defensive strategy for their bot, that it wasn't so much trying to extract the max out of you in every hand, but more was preventing you from extracting money out of it and, and getting so good at that that... Uh, that you can't beat it. And of course, it also has the advantage of no tilt and things like that, no fatigue. But, but putting that aside, uh, strategically, it played such a good defensive strategy that they felt it was uh, extremely hard to beat. But this is actually claiming that it's uh, perfect, that it's, it's uh, basically stored every single possibility in, in its uh, 262 terabytes of data. And uh, it's, it's called a... Uh, they call this bot... Uh, Cepheus, C-E-P-H-E-U-S. And uh, it says that uh, Cepheus also confirmed the common poker strategy of raising the bet on the first action rather than just match the highest bet by calling. The algorithm solution called on the first action just 0.06% of the time overall. So they were, I think I think what they're trying to say in this article, which wasn't written by a poker player, obviously, I think they're trying to say like pre-flop, they shouldn't just limp. But yeah. we we knew that. I mean, come on, that's, that's... the basic stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, the question is: Is this actually an unbeatable bot? Obviously, it's very very tough. I'm sure. But let me tell you my experience with the University of Alberta and Limit Texas Hold'em that goes way before 2014. Um, back on com, which is the site where a lot of us originated that are on the Poker Fraud Alert forum and people who listen to this show, a lot came from Never Win Poker. Uh, for a while, they were pushing something called Pokey Poker, P-O-K-I, Poker. In fact, this was pushed by... The Count 1729, who was a, a big Limit Hold'em winner on uh, Poker Stars and other online poker sites at the time. I, I met him. His real name is Gautam Rao. He's an Indian guy from Edmonton. And uh, they were pushing this Pokey Poker program, which was a commercial program available, uh, but it was using these same algorithms, maybe a bit of a watered-down one, that University of Alberta developed in uh, in 2000 around 2004 I think to play perfect Texas Hold'em 
Now they didn't claim like they do with Cepheus, like that they uh, they had analyzed every single situation, but they claimed it was uh, a very very strong opponent what they had developed at the University of Alberta. And while the bot they developed was never available to the public, a watered down version of it, this Pokey Poker, was released as a software package, and it sucked. I played this thing, and it made so many glaring, awful mistakes. It was not a winning player. It was so bad that even on its highest setting, I gave up with it after a short time. I was saying, I'm not going to learn anything from this thing. Uh, It was calling me down with queen high, with king high, when it was totally not justified to do that. Now, bots in Limit Texas Hold'em do have to call down more than humans do. That's that's one potential exploit a a bot always has is that it, it always calls down a bit more than a human does. But, um, and some of that is because um, a human will sometimes fold because of intimidation. They think, oh, I can't call this, that's just ridiculous. But a bot actually, like, analyzes mathematically whether a call is correct and uh, and, and will make more calls. And it just, in general, bots, uh, it's easier for them to make loose calls rather than trying to make a tight fold. So uh, it is true that uh, bots, even really, really tough bots, call queen and king high and even jack and ten high down more than uh, other that good human players would do. But uh, the pokey poker program was calling down in really dumb situations where it was so clear that queen and king high were not good. So I, I threw the thing away. And uh, I said, this is crap, and I can't believe the University of Alberta associated themselves with this. And and uh, I guess they had two known poker players play their version of the bot at the time. They had Ali Islami, who is a good player. And they had Phil Locke, who, who who's also a good player, but he's not a limit guy. So like, I'd be happy to play Phil Locke in limit hold'em. Uh, so... Huh. Uh, you know, but uh, um, he, it, I mean, he's highly mathematical guy, isn't he? Wouldn't that lend itself more to limit? He he barely ever plays limit. I, I just I don't I don't believe he's a uh, really a limit player. I, oh, I okay. he could he could surprise me, but I'm just telling you I've I never see him playing limit hold. I've seen him a few times, and when he did play, I didn't see uh, he wasn't a fish, but he wasn't. Uh, I didn't see anything that was uh, that good. I I think that uh, no limit's much uh, better game for him. What I'm saying here is that the two of them played it, and I, I forgot what they, they they kind of had evenish type results. Nothing that was like they didn't. No, uh, Phil Lack won. I remember. Did that. he win? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. yeah, you remember better than I do. So you remember this whole thing too. So mm-hmm. so like this is the University of Alberta too. So now suddenly they're releasing this, saying, "Oh, look, we've we've solved limit holder." I I thought they did a long time ago. So I, I think maybe this is a deeper solution. Right. Uh, and and you know they claim with this. Uh, 262 terabytes of data on Limit Hold'em that it really has analyzed everything. But I'm still a little skeptical. They've been at this for so many years and they've made so many grandiose claims about this. I It's almost like the boy who cried wolf. That Maybe, maybe the wolf really is here, the wolf of the unbeatable bot. And, uh, you know, I don't trust them. But I will say the, the Limit Hold'em bot that I played in the casinos did become very, very good and very, very tough. And And that was even for me who very carefully like noted its tendencies and in fact I talked about it with Brandon too who also played it a lot and we would very carefully note its tendencies where I'd watch other players other very good limit hold'em players who I would not want to play heads up in a you know, heads up match between me and him 
But like, and him, I'm saying just like one of several players. But like, I watch them play the bot, and they they're just totally coming at it wrong. Like they think they're playing in a, a human, and they're not adjusting to it. They're they're not adjusting to the different types of strategies the bot employs. And then they're uh, you know they're trying to intimidate the bot. They're trying to bluff raise the bot on the river, and you know, like it, it wasn't working. It, uh, right. Well, that's the same. I've heard the same thing about this new bot. Is basically that it'll, it it will not really adapt to you personally because the thing is it's played whatever twenty four trillion hands against itself. So that one, you know, that's a speck of sand on the beach of data to it. So it's not really going to change its style based on how you play, but you can adapt to how it plays. Has it actually played uh, twenty four trillion hands? That's something like that. Wow. That's what it said. Well, wow. so it says uh, that uh, they that it's spread across uh, the memory requirements across two hundred computation nodes, and uh, and that each node had uh, twenty four two point gigawatt gigahertz cores, thirty two gigabytes of RAM, and a terabyte local disk. And that was uh, just a single node, and they had uh, two hundred of those running. To, to for this bot to uh, operate, so obviously this is a a much bigger and more expensive piece of equipment than anything we've seen before for a limit hold'em bot, and uh, so maybe maybe that's why it's so much better. So uh, it, it really claims it just calculated all the right things to do, but I I still wonder I still wonder if if a human couldn't figure out. Uh, especially after playing it enough, uh, some flaws it might have. It's still a machine, and you can still uh, learn back from it different than a machine learned from itself. And from my experience with the bot that played in the casino, it needed the fine-tuning from playing humans to get to where it was, that playing uh, you know billions of hands against itself wasn't good enough because uh, itself did not play the same way humans do. So... I, I would love to play this thing, but I, I doubt I'd ever get an opportunity. But uh, it would be interesting. I would love to see its tendencies. I'd love to compare it to what I saw out of the uh, the bot in the casino. And I, I think it would be relaxing to play this and not have to do it for real money. Like I, I wish I could play the ones in the casino just for fun. But it, it was stressful. <laughs> it was stressful playing the one in the, in the casino because it's always for real money. Well, they have like a, like a two four version, don't they? Yeah, it still adds up though. You still can't just like say oh, I don't care, you know, like. Uh... No, but just to yeah, kind of see its tendencies. I know I, I have seen them still around in Vegas. Uh, yeah, they they just don't there, com- but... they don't comp at all now. Right, and, they and... say right on them no points. Yeah, yeah and and they and they're very tough, so it's not worth it. Like I, I don't uh, I don't think I can beat it anymore. So, I'd be willing to play it at negative expectation if I got a lot of comps out of it, but not yeah you know, not with no comps. So that's why hardly anyone plays it. So, uh, I I don't know if they'll ever make it available for people to play. Like I, I would think like couldn't they put this online for people to be able to play? You don't, should you have to really be there? I mean, yes, it's it's a gigantic machine with with all these different. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know physically how large the machine is, but uh, you know here they have a cluster of uh, two hundred computational nodes. But that doesn't mean that the interface to it couldn't be. Uh, put online easily. So yeah. I, I would think that'd be cool if they had this here where you could just go onto the university of Alberta's website and play the thing. But well, the, I mean, 
I would guess they're probably trying to sell it to something, you know, yeah. similar to the machines that you used to play. So they, yeah, <laughs> I, I admit I wouldn't want to go up to the, against this thing for real money. That's that's uh, with 262 terabytes of uh, of data and limit holdem. So, what'd be even scarier though is a bot like this that can actually also learn from your specific tendencies. Yeah, yeah that would be scary. It's something that can actually learn to exploit you, not just how to not be exploited. So. I guess you could always cash out and put the ticket back in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've, I have a, you know, my NBA picks, I don't like burdening the show with this, but I'm 2-0 and so far today. I've had a weird last few days in the NBA. 2-0-1 on Friday, 0-4 Saturday, 3-0 and Sunday. Start off 2-0 and yesterday, end up with 2-2. and and I have Dallas minus five and a half today, and it's an OT right now. Oh, I'm going to lose this with eight. Well, maybe not with eight seconds. Only up by two, so I got to hope for a double OT. This is crazy. It's so crazy when you're betting the NBA like you, your bet is screwed, and like oh, I got to hope for overtime. Like you're, you're like hoping for overtime, and then like if you've got like an under bet, then you're you're like you're killing it with the under bet, and then you're like oh no overtime, no please please please, and then you got to screw with the overtime, and you're so mad. It's like the worst. I just uh, I can't watch the NBA. It's just so boring to me. I think this is an interesting season. The reason this is an interesting season is that there are no good teams that are based of, based around a superstar. There's the, the the elite teams right now, at least the ones with the really good records right now, are all teams that are not centered around a major star. the uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers are a fail so far. Even with LeBron in the lineup, uh, obviously the Lakers are a disaster. Uh, the Knicks with Carmelo answers Anthony are one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, you, you, the, the good teams out there, including you know, Toronto, Atlanta, Golden State, Portland, the, these are not teams with with you know huge superstars. Even the, even the Spurs with uh, you know they've their age is finally catching up to them. So. It just feels like every game comes down to the last two minutes. That, that is one flaw. It feels like with the he NBA. got ripped off. You that, know, it's just like, oh, they're leading at twenty points at the half. Well, who cares? That, that, that is one flaw with the NBA, and I've always said this. And when I defend baseball, which I like better than than basketball, uh, as far as the spectator, people say, oh, baseball is so boring. You know, how can you sit there and you know, so little action? I go, look, at least whatever happens in the first inning will often have a very big impact on the rest of the game. Oh, if a team completely. jumps up three three nothing in the first. There's a high chance they're going to win. Uh, in, in in base, in it's still interesting enough as long as it's not a blowout. To, you know, to where it's it's not a sure thing. But in basketball, the first quarter, unless it's a blowout, either it's, it's so meaningless. And also, it doesn't seem like the teams play different. Like obviously, my favorite sport is hockey, and when you have a lead of you know three goals or more. You play more defensively because you're protecting. It just seems like basketball is just like back forth, back forth. The strategy doesn't change. It, I don't know. It just seems like repetitive, and it all comes down to the last two minutes. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think the big problem is that, that too much comes down to the fourth quarter, and specifically the last few minutes of the quarter. And, and you can, I, I sometimes feel foolish watching the first quarter or first half of a basketball game and have it so many times absolutely not matter. So. Uh, that's and you can say, oh well, every point matters, but it really doesn't because you do play differently when you're ahead than when you're behind. There's so many different things that it, uh, take place here, and uh, and also because the certain players, uh, you know, you can't have them in all 48 minutes, so you got to take them out, and you take them out more if they're if the, if the game is not close. And, uh, there's, right. there's so many different things that can happen that that render the beginning of the game useless. 
So yeah, that, that it is also seems like the least team sport. It seems like the sport where one player, and, and I guess you're saying that's not really true yeah, this, this year. But... This year is unusual, and that is not. That's why I think this year is interesting. But yeah, yeah, that should... would be more interesting because I, I never liked the fact that you know one player is getting like half the points for the team. Yeah, it just felt felt too individual. But yeah, so so uh, I think I'm about to lose this bet. But anyway, let's get on to the next topic here. It's nine forty-five. Damn it. Okay, so. Uh, Post-liminary events, if that's even a word. Uh, briefly talk about that. I think it's a great idea. I, I think it's a great idea for a few reasons. And again, when I was saying earlier, a post-liminary event is a smaller event that takes place in a tournament series after the main event starts. And this is geared toward people that bust the main event and still want to play some tournaments. There's a few reasons why I think these are good. Uh First of all, it's good for the casino. They make more money in rake. You know, why not? Uh, second, if people travel for a specific tournament and they've just come a long way and they play and they bust on the first day, what do they do? Go home? I mean, you you, you kind of feel like as a tournament player, this is a waste. I came all the way out here. Then now what do I do? You have the post-liminary events. You can have other meaningful tournaments to play afterwards. It's not all over. It's not like the main event's done, the, the, you know, the t- series is done. I have that feeling at the World Series. When the main event, when I bust for the main event, I have this feeling like, oh, not only is that it for the main, this is it for the World Series. Like, everything I was hoping to accomplish here, it's done. That's it. I, I, I'm not going to win a bracelet. And I, I think it would be, I, I think it's a nice thing to have for, for people who bust out that can go and, and, and play these events afterwards. And uh, and Daniel Negrani was suggesting that they do this instead of having all these uh, stupid rebuys allowed in these main events where people who bust out of day 1A can enter day 1B. Like, they just do away with that. Have it all be just a traditional, you know, one-bullet tournament for these main events. And then have these post-liminary events after that so the people who bust aren't just feeling like they... They, they traveled a long way and went through a lot of trouble just to, to barely play any poker and bust. Uh, the argument against these is that it's anticlimactic, that uh, you're there for the main event, you don't make it. Who, who wants to go take your shot now at a smaller event? How do you feel about this? I think it's a good idea. First of all, like you said, they used to do it at the World Series. Um, I guess that's a bit different because then it's not anticlimactic because there were still bracelets up for grabs. Although back then they kind of meant more than they do now. Also, to me, this is kind of a proven concept because when the World Series, the kind of main event is going on, uh, other casinos in Vegas run you know decent-sized tournaments. The Bellagio's done this for a couple of years now, and they're picking up the bust-outs from the, the main event at the World Series. And uh, like I say, a lot of people travel. A lot of middle-limit kind of tournament players also travel in pairs. So maybe your buddy's still in, but you're out. You need something to do other than, you know, sweat them all day. So I, I, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I don't know why they did away with that. I think it's something they should bring back. All right. Uh, WorldSeriesOfPoker.com uh, and 888.com are pooling players somewhat. Uh, now, of course, WorldSeriesOfPoker.com runs 888 software, but they are two different sites with two separate player pools in New Jersey. Uh, they've decided to pool the players in some of their games, probably in an attempt to compete with the number one site over there, and that's the Borgata's Party Poker.nj. 
Uh, now, let me uh, give you a list of the games that they're going to be pooling and, and then explain why this is happening. So they're doing with low-limit cash games, uh, limit hold'em, anything up to 50 cents a dollar. So anything higher than that is not shared. And no limit up to 25 cent, 50 cent, which is actually a little higher because, uh, you know, 25 cent, no, no limit is higher than 50 cent limit. But uh, tournaments, they are uh, doing it for sit and goes if the buy-in is $5 or less. And uh, the multi-table tournaments, they actually will be doing the $5,000 nightly, the $10,000 nightly, the $10,000 Sunday, the $25,000 Sunday. So uh, that's, of course, the guarantees. It's not the buy-ins. But what about duplicate players? Because you are allowed to have a site on 888.com and WSOP.com. And you can open the software on both at the same time. So what if you're playing against yourself? Now, I, I, it's unclear to me how they're stopping this. It's obviously not going to be allowed, but uh, it's unclear how they're stopping this. Maybe with an IP address thing. I, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're somehow checking the name. But the weird thing is, according to head of online poker of WSCP.com, Bill Reaney, who I've criticized before on this show, uh, he said that the reason that they're not doing games higher than what I listed, is because of the duplicate player problem. He said, in reviewing data with 888, we both felt there was more than enough uniqueness between our player bases that this was a win all around. And he was referring to the duplicate player thing in that basically the higher games that they noticed would have a higher chance of having duplicates because what they've seen is that the grinders will play higher than that, will play higher than 50 cent uh, $1 limit and higher than 25 cent, 50 cent no limit. And they're just going to open up a ton of tables to try to multi-table, where the fish typically don't multi-table. So uh, that if someone's multi-tabling across several sites to get action, that if they were to pull the player pools on uh, the, the middle and higher limit games, that there would be a lot of people duplicating each other. But my question is, what if you do duplicate yourself and you don't even know it? Or what if you do know it? Like, uh, are, are they stopping this in some way? And if they can stop it, then why not just offer it at all games and stop it? I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's, it almost seems like they're like, well, it's it's acceptable only at a certain level. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, such huh? a weird thing. It's such a weird thing if that's the reason. But but even if that's not the reason, how are they stopping the duplicates? And if they can stop the duplicates, why not just stop it everywhere? Why 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 have to not offer certain games? It's really odd. So uh, keep in mind, none of these sites are killing it. They're, they're all inferior, including the Borgata. They're all inferior to Bovada in traffic. Bovada is the biggest site right now that offers games to U.S. players, period. Right, uh, legal or illegal. Yeah, but... Uh, what, well, gray area, the pirates. The the, the pirates. <laughs> so the Poker Scout shows that at the time of the, this article I'm reading that the average cash game traffic, 160 players on Borgata, 110 on WSOP, and, eight, and 95 on 888. Uh, but maybe some of these were duplicates, so... If you combine WSOP and 888, and also, of course, the higher limit games, they uh, um, they, they are not pooling. So the question is, if you combine these two, then will you have more games to play than Borgata? I still think no, but uh, it's probably going to get a little closer. Uh, th- there's talk that this 
will probably increase the overall tournament uh, guarantees prize pool because now you'll have uh, more players. So, sure, uh, I, I, I guess that'll happen now. Uh, so, so that's that's happening here. It hasn't happened anywhere else yet. Uh, there's plans to do something similar. Uh, of course, th- by the way, this is uh, there are two reasons said that this is happening. Both the Bor- be trying to beat the Borgata and also the, the fact that Poker Stars is is going to be uh, coming to New beat Jersey. Beat the Borgata. Yeah, you know, beating the Borgata's uh, party poker site. Oh, I see. I yeah, see. yeah. So, so, so they're afraid. When Poker Stars comes into the market, if they ever do right. in New Jersey, that they really need a head start to beat them. So, uh, wow, good luck with that. Yeah. So, they, uh, as far as uh, New Jersey, uh, Nevada, uh, Nevada has already announced uh, that they're cons- that uh, that uh, the All American Poker Network, uh, that WSB.com and 888 are going to be doing it uh, in Nevada, but. As far as I know, it hasn't happened yet. But in Nevada, it's kind of irrelevant because the only site with any kind of traffic, period, is WSOP.com. Everything else the fail site over there. And even WSOP.com is a fail site there. Uh, but here's an, an interesting uh, thing that was that I read. And uh, this is a separate topic on our agenda, but really very related. The New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement has issued a press statement giving a look at the state's first year of regulated online gaming. Not just online poker, but online gaming. They have casino games, too, there. unlike Nevada, where it's only poker. The report was called Achievements to Date and Goals for the Future. It was released, though, by uh, the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, not by any of the casinos. So, um, apparently... 506,172 distinct player accounts registered on these New Jersey casinos as of November 30th, 2014, a year later. See, it went from November 30th to November 30th. So this does not include anything since November 30th. So it's not for the full year of 2014. It's the first full year of, uh, of New Jersey gaming. That's more than I would guess. I yeah. Though, though that doesn't mean these people deposited. They just made accounts. Right. They just made an account. Yeah. Yeah. But that is more than I thought, too. Uh, and this is across all the sites together, but they claim it's distinct. I, assuming that means no du- no duplicates. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it says that uh, online poker was very disappointing, as we knew. But it says uh, in the report at the launch of internet gaming in New Jersey, there was a perception that online poker would predominate over slots and o- and other online games. I think it was a dumb perception. I never thought Who that. Who thought that? Idiots thought that, I guess. <laughs> that's like, say, like, just walk into any actual casino, you'll find out that's not true. But okay. This prediction has not been correct. What a shock. From inception through November 30th, 2014, poker accounts for only 25% of New Jersey internet revenue. That's more than I expected, actually. Uh, while the remaining 75% consists of other authorized casino games. Not all of New Jersey's platforms offer poker, but the percentage breakdown for revenue on platforms that offer both poker and casino games is approximately 40% poker and 60% other games. Part of poker's slow growth uh, is because of uh, the state's uh, isolation, of course, and, uh, and the lack of player pooling. But, but still, I mean, I would, I got to think that uh, the casino games on a legalized casino would bring in more than poker. Uh, 
Uh, also from the report, it says, One surprise from a regulatory perspective was how operationally unprepared the platforms, referring to the third-party companies like 888 that uh, they hired uh, to, to provide their software and services, were to implement Internet gaming in a regulated U.S. environment. They thought they would be able to flip a switch and start up their current system here. They quickly found out this was not going to happen. There definitely was a learning curve for the operators to adjust to our regulatory framework, but that has improved dramatically. Companies adapted to our new model, which we believe has helped improve the industry and raise its standards. So uh, they they were uh, saying that those uh, providers of the software weren't doing very well at the beginning. Probably their customer support stuff. And that's sort of a slam on what they're doing probably elsewhere when you read it that way. Now, this is an interesting one about the credit card rejections. I'm sure those of you who have tried to play legalized online poker have probably had credit cards get rejected. And you're like, what the hell? This is supposed to be legalized. Why are they getting rejected? This isn't like the old days when they're claiming you're actually buying uh, $900 of women's clothes in Malta. You know, this is supposed to be transparent (laughs) and open. Like, why are they rejecting this? But but, uh, so... The Division of Gaming Enforcement has been in discussions with the New Jersey Department of Banking and Insurance and the U.S. Office of the Comptroller of Currency to address the difficulties related to payment processing. Most recent statistics indicate that about 73% of Visa and 44% of MasterCard transactions are approved, which means more than half of MasterCard uh, is getting declined. Uh, I'm not surprised by that. A new credit card code has been created for legal online gambling transactions, and it is expected to be in effect in spring of 2015. The problem with MasterCard's failures uh, is particularly egregious because MasterCard actually introduced two special codes two years ago that were for legal online gambling, where Visa just kind of kept the same code. So originally they both had the same code to tag online gambling, which was 7995. So it was very easy for the banks to start declining because they saw 7995 and just declined it. That's why then the the online poker sites had to start mislabeling the transaction, which is against the law, and that's where uh, the trouble happened that uh, caused Black Friday. Uh, In the spring of 2015, MasterCard... uh, 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 I've seen I've seen two different things here. That this 2015, 2013, but whatever, it's unimportant. But Mastercard they created two new codes, nine seven five four for all forms of regulated gaming, and nine three nine nine. This Mastercard only both of them is for state lottery. So if it wasn't a lottery thing, it was nine three nine nine, and it was nine seven five four for everything else. So these were different codes that were supposed to be used instead of the 7995, and the banks were supposed to be accepting these. But they weren't. (laughs) 56% got rejected. Uh, Somehow Visa, despite still using that 7995, uh, somehow that was still getting approved at a 73% rate. Uh, Bank of America was said to be one of the biggest rejecter of these transactions. Uh, And uh, so it says the... So they're trying to work with banks, and uh, they're afraid that uh, this is what's known as, quote, intentional obstructionism by several U.S. banks and credit card issuers that are just refusing to put the transactions through. It could – I mean, I don't know how it works down there, but I know – in British Columbia, we actually have government-run online poker, and I tried to deposit with one of my credit cards, which was a – 
I don't have it anymore, but it was a Capital One card. And they wouldn't let me deposit. I called them up and they said, Capital One does not allow online gaming transactions, period. Yeah, that's what they say. We just, we just don't want to process it. They, yep, they, they just, just say, we don't want to deal with it. I, well, yeah. this is legal. It's run by the government. Don't care. Yeah, they don't Can't care. Do they don't want you charging back. They don't want. They, I think they're afraid yep. that people are going to claim phony fraud, that uh, their card was stolen when in reality they just lost the money themselves. So they, they're they like, screw this, right? We just don't want to deal with it. You just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't see that ever changing. So so that it's funny that they created new codes for MasterCard and it still isn't solving the problem. Still uh, 56% are getting declined. I don't know why MasterCards are getting – it's getting declined a lot more than Visa. That's kind of weird. I can't – figure out why that would be. Maybe maybe it has to do with the distribution of these banks of who has more MasterCards and who has more Visa. Yeah, I think so because <laughs> I'm just thinking my Capital One was a MasterCard. So it may just it's probably just coincidence for who's running which, you know, provider. But Yeah, all right. I, I, th- I see the chat just I, I, the chat was frozen for me all this time. I'm reading like the same chat I read a long time ago. So I just re- I just refreshed it. All right, so so uh, uh, I thought everyone just uh, wasn't saying anything. <laughs> maybe mine froze too. Maybe yours froze. Maybe, maybe it just, did just die. Maybe there's just nobody saying anything. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm gi- giving our. We're, we're losing listeners, Todd. This is why we're number four. <laughs> All right. Got to reach out to you know some other communities. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving our chat uh, too much credit for having a, an active chat here when they're just sitting here. I'm like, oh, it froze. No, I didn't freeze. They're just not talking. Okay, so let's go to. Uh, it's a good thing uh, Matt the Rad called. Otherwise, we'd have no interaction. All right, so Poker Stars, they have released another propaganda video. And let's listen uh, to this. This is all about the, the data center. It's, uh, it's uh, four minutes and 42 seconds. Welcome once again to the Isle of Man. I'm James Hartigan, and I am back at the data center to answer data another center. of your frequently asked questions about how PokerStars, the world's largest poker site, operates. Today's question is, when I'm playing online at PokerStars, where do the games actually take place, and is it secure? I'm going to... I'm going to answer and tell you no, it is not. Talk to PokerStars Director of IT Operations, Gary Hill. Gary, if we go beyond these doors, what will we see? You're going to see um, a very disturbing S&M scene that takes place here. Lee, Lee Jones stands here in, in thigh-high boots and a whip. It's, it's a very disturbing thing, but that's why the doors are locked. But... God. Well, what we have here is we're in the main PokerStars data center, so every server which operates the game runs out of this secure facility. So we have hundreds and hundreds of servers which the uh, customers around the world will connect to. So that time when they double-click the PokerStars icon and a connection is made across the internet, this is where the connection terminates, and this is where all the games are run and where the random number generator is. You mentioned this is a secure facility. How secure? Uh, it's not secure anymore. We showed everyone where it is and what the doors look like and how to get in here. So, um, I mean, you just strolled yourself in here, so it's not quite secure anymore, but uh, it, it's worse up until this moment. To get into this area that we're in now, which is more of a communal area, you need um, a card and you need a code. To enter into the next phase of the data centre, you also need to have biometric access. So that means you need to have your fingerprint registered with the data centre. And then there's another level. Once you get inside the PokerStars data centre, to get to one of the computer systems, you have to go through a second level of biometrics. (laughs) So the same level as uh, an iPhone. (laughs) Biometric, (laughs) fingerprint. 
right. I, I, I've been concerned that um, someone is going to kidnap me and cut off my finger so they can get into the data center. That's the one flaw in our security. But I, I wear gloves that are designed to prevent this problem. In the group, we employ a couple of thousand people, but the access restricted to the room is down to three or four people. Well, I feel very privileged to be in this building, and if you'd be so kind, Gary, it'd be great to take a look. Yeah, let's go through. <laughs> they show him entering the code. That's not very good. It's like, beep, dee, 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 dee. You see him pressing the code in. That's it's not very secure. Thank you. This is the thumbprint scanning until Yeah, this is the first level of uh, biometrics to get into the room. Okay, that's us. Okay. It's loud. A lot of fans, I take it, Gary. Yeah, there's a lot of fans, and they're all here to keep the servers cool. But what we have here is one of our containment pods that actually keeps all the cold airs directly in front of the servers. We don't want to waste any air around here. We want every kilowatt of cold air to be funneled directly into the servers. So we can go in and take a look. Sure. just feel like I've walked out of a sauna into a fridge. <laughs> well, this, this is like a fridge. The cold air comes in, into the pod. It's contained within the pod. And then all the servers that we can see here, which actually uh, receive the poker game traffic, suck the cold air through the servers and out into the warm area outside. You know, that's what I do over here. I have a little trick I play. Um, when women come and visit the Isle of Man, I, I bring them in here and I, I bring them to the warm part of the room and then, and then I quickly run them into the cold part of the room and they examine their nipples when they, they stick up. And then they don't realize what I'm doing, but um, I get a big kick out of it. I don't get very much action here, the Isle of Man. And I notice more keypads and more uh, thumbprint scanners. This is the second level of biometric security. After we open this rack door, these are the systems. So we have another layer of security. And the reason for that is to make sure that we can identify the individual engineer at the exact time of the day that has accessed the systems. So it's not only important that we restrict access to the room, we want to know who accessed a particular server and at exactly what time. See, this is where I'm going to reveal my inner geek. See, this looks really cool. Well, we do like it to look good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what we really have here, actually, though, is these, are, these aren't actually servers. These are our, um, this is storage. Every hand um, that's ever been played for real money is stored and analysed. Well, this is the magnetic media where every single transaction is recorded. Actually, we save, we save about 90% of the transactions, and if we're ever to be audited or if there's ever a cheating scandal, we're going to lose the other 10%. We don't store the other 10%. Uh, it's, it's an industry standard that uh, was established by a, a respected company known as UB. So, Gary, how does the world connect to this room? Connectivity is very, very, very important to PokerStars. So in a similar way to Google and Microsoft, who build their own Internet on top of the Internet, right. PokerStars do exactly the same. So coming out from this building, we have our own fibre-optic cables which leave the Isle of Man, which head over to Ireland and also head over to the UK, and they also go in a ring around Europe as well. So dedicated they, lines? It's, yeah, dedicated lines for poker stars that go all the way around Europe. And then we connect to the national telcos of each country within the country. The reason we do that is we want to make sure that the poker experience is as smooth as possible for our players. We don't want the traffic going across lots of different internet providers to get here to us. It's one hop onto PokerStars network, and then we can control the route back here to the Isle of Man. Well, Gary, thank you very much for the tour. Fascinating stuff, and thank you for answering all those questions in great detail. No worries. Thanks for coming up. Cheers.
Well, if you have a question for me to put to the people at PokerStars, please send it over. Do you want to know how PokerStars online festivals are scheduled? No, I want to know. Forget what's scheduled. I want to know what happened to that laser. How come there's no laser? I was going to say, this is a disappointing video. It was. There's no lasers. Uh, I mean, I like how their layered security is the exact same thing, but three times. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's a thumbprint scanner, and then uh, there's a second thumbprint scanner and a third one. Yeah, like, we, that's, we, that's not how layered security works. We want know? to make sure when the when people enter the second room that we know exactly who they are. In the first room, when they use the thumbprint, um, it, it actually it could record who they are, but it chooses not to in order to save three bytes of data. And uh, we we don't record that. It just it it sees it's the right thumbprint, but it's just one of many thumbprints we can accept. We we could easily say which one it is, but we choose not to. We have a second system in there, and then we get to see exactly which engineer goes in there as well. Oh, you know what? You know what else we do? The reason we have this is because sometimes, even though we say very few people are allowed in this room, somehow all four of them come in at the same time. And we have to make sure of those four people, if they all happen to come in at the same time and they're not, they don't have eyes on one another, that we can still see of those four, which of those four go into that other room. It's, it's quite important. So, and it's uh, what they're trying to do there, but that's uh, it's kind of overkill. But yeah, this is kind of a disappointing video. It kind of ended abruptly, too. It's a, have you ever seen, like, you know, Miami Vice did this all the time, and it kind of, it kind of pissed me off. I'd like, be really into the story. And, and, and you know, uh, Sonny... Crockett would, would shoot the criminal, and you'd have so many more questions about what had happened in that episode. And then you see the closing credits, and that's it. They just abruptly end. They don't explain anything. There's there's no after part. And I'm, I'm okay yeah. if they don't have like the little cutesy after thing where they have some of these uh, crime shows where there's some kind of frivolous scenes where the characters are just messing around. But but they just don't finish explaining the story when the main part's over. And that, that's kind of what happened here. They just walk out and then they're in front of those blue doors and it's just done abruptly. I think that was sort of like a 70s slash 80s style of uh, probably more 80s of, of like uh, entertainment. Like I rewatched the Karate Kid the other day, and uh, it like it ends right at the apex, and and that's just it. The movie's over. You would never see a movie made like that today. You know, I had. And I actually thought that the I, I thought it had a different ending, and it just got cut out. I was like, "What's this? Is not the ending." And it turns out the ending that I thought was the ending was the beginning of Karate Kid. 2. That, that's what I was going to say. Actually, the uh, um, what what they did there with the ending, they actually had filmed the entire thing for one, but then cut it there and then just you reuse that part that they didn't show at the beginning of two. Well, so see. they actually did intend for the, uh, a little bit more of an ending there. But I, I actually think they, I, I thought they did a good job where they ended it there. I think that, uh, I think had it's just had weird scene, compared to today's, you know, standards. You, yeah. you would never end a movie like that right at the apex of the story. There's yeah. always sort of a, you know, denouement as they say. Miami Vice is really bad with that, though. I mean, Miami Vice just went crazy with this, the abrupt ending. Somebody told me in season five there's like aliens or something in Miami Vice. Uh, season That's five, why I never yeah, went season into five it. had had gone downhill. The season five, the aliens episode was the worst one. The, there was a, it was, it's kind of like they were dreaming of of aliens, but the whole thing was dumb. The season five okay. was stupid. They, the one and two are by far the best seasons. Unlike a lot of other shows, which take a little time to find themselves. Miami Vice got a good start right off the beginning. Uh, that that right away it was they already had some of the stronger episodes of the series. 
But uh, after the first two seasons, they started changing too many things. And uh, so there were a few good episodes in the later seasons, but uh, a lot of dumb ones, especially at the end of the last season, there were a lot of dumb ones. Okay, so let's let's go let's go on to the other topics before I waste too much time talking about uh, '80s TV shows. More on Poker Stars. They have reversed course on their rake increases. They they've done a rollback. The commerce needs to learn from them. Uh, po- Poker Stars, which is they're very good even under Amaya with uh, they're very good at business. They're very good at being introspective and and for the most part, making the right decisions for their business. And when they raised the rake, I thought they probably made a correct business decision, even though it pissed off the players because uh, they were basically raising the rake up to the level of the competition. They were lower than the competition before. They raised it up to about the same as the competition. That's what Poker Stars is making the point. Hey, what are you mad at us for? We're just bringing it to the industry standard. And, and we had to do it. And, you know, if, if, if you want to go elsewhere, you can, but you're going to find the same rake over there. And, and we have the better software and, and a lot more games. So why would you do that? So uh, they rolled it back for reasons that are unknown. But uh, they had a thread on 2 plus 2 where they were explaining how they reversed it. And and there's also the Poker Stars blog. They wrote about this. So this is from Eric Holreiser on January 6, 2015. It says, as a Poker Stars blog, the official blog, it says on November 3rd, Poker Stars inc- increased cash game rake and tournament fees in various games. We also plan to implement several additional increases on January 1st. So they had already raised it, and we didn't know they they're going to do more on January 1st. After additional analysis and consideration, we have now returned the rake to pre-November 3rd, 2014 levels in most instances and have canceled the planned additional increases. Spin-and-go tournament fees and payout changes implemented on November 3rd will remain in place. We will not increase any rake in 2015 other than in jurisdictions where we already have, uh, where we, we have already or will experience increased d- gaming duty or VAT. As you're likely aware, more, com- more countries are indru- introducing taxation, increasing the impact on our business and the poker economy at large. We will continue to use a combination of rake increases and VIP re- reward reductions to in- address the increased taxation, but these changes will be consistent with our past practice of sharing up to 50% of taxation with players. So, so basically they're saying as long as your jurisdiction isn't taxing us, we're not going to raise the rake, and if they are, then we'll kind of split it. So whatever we lose from these higher taxes, we'll pass half of it on to you, which is fair. Uh, so, so anyway, I'm not going to go on reading this, but uh, uh, they, they've rolled back everything, which is very surprising. I thought they weren't going to suffer. I thought a few grinders might get mad and, and quit, but it's not going to mean that much. I thought that uh, the extra make, rake they will make will more than make up for that. But apparently it didn't. Apparently it, it was hurting their business badly in some way, and they, they had to back off and undo it. So uh, A. Brown 83 posted a great summary of the 2 plus 2 threads of, uh, of poker stars arguing with people about, uh, about the rake increase when it happened and then eventually what occurred. So his summation was this. Poker star says, we're raising the rake. The players say back, this is before November 3rd, 
that's really going to cut into Grinder's profit, and they may just stop or venture elsewhere where the games are software are softer. Uh, also, Grinders start games and get casual players to sit. Poker stars, we are doing what's best for the poker economy. Players, we really don't think you understand how much the Grinders drive the games and get the games going. This is really going to backfire terribly. Poker stars says we have run the numbers. Our rake is still cheaper than almost all our competitors. Players say you still don't get it. Poker stars says no, we're right. Players say, fuck you, Poker Stars. And then two months later, uh, we're actually rolling back the rake changes. But uh, by the way, we weren't wrong. <laughs> so obviously they were wrong. Obviously they saw that people abandoned the site. Obviously they, that when they ran everything together, they saw, hey, crap, we're actually making less rake than we were prior to these changes. So... Uh, I think what Poker Stars ignored was that their games are pretty tough and that a lot of people were playing there because the rake was lower and they had a, they had a good VIP program and that made up, at least in these players' minds, for the fact that the games are tougher. But once the rake was as high as competing sites that are smaller where the games are better, I think some of these grinders are like, screw it. Now there's no point to be on Poker Stars anymore. Now the, I'm just going to play exclusively on these smaller sites where I get better games. And did. And I, I didn't think it was going to happen, but I don't think it was a, a concerted effort on the part of the players. I think it just naturally occurred because the rate got too high and, and there was no longer enough of an upside to continue playing on Poker Stars. And I think that's great. I think it's it, it's great that people voted with their feet and they, they looked at it and they didn't just take it. They, they looked at it and said, crap, these games on Poker Stars are tough. And uh, it's not worth staying here anymore. And they made the intelligent decision to move elsewhere. And this made Poker Stars reverse it. Yeah. And I also think, you know, Poker Stars deserve some credit, too, because they didn't say, oh, well, all these people will come back. It's only been two months. They said, you know, oh, looks like we made a mistake. Let's fix it. Yeah. They didn't admit the mistake, but at least they fixed it, which no. is important. And and uh, yeah. and, and you're right. They didn't commerce the situation. They didn't uh, make the, the they didn't paradise poker the situation like they 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 looked at it. They said, OK, we, we made a miscalculation. We screwed up. And not because we're trying to do the players a favor, we're doing ourselves a favor, which happens to also benefit the players, that we've got to roll the rakes back because it's, it's just the typical model of you make your price too high, you make less money overall than if the price was reasonable. I, right. I've always said this about mini bars in hotel rooms. I bet if they brought the prices down, they would do a lot better overall. I agree completely. I think that they think, well, maybe I'm just thinking of Vegas, that people are going to be like, well, it's you know, or they're so drunk, or they don't care. But if they would just get them down to even if even if, it sounds crazy, but even if they were a hundred percent more than the convenience store instead of five hundred percent, right? I think they do the volume enough to make it up, right? Like like if the uh, the dollar bag of gummy bears is is two dollars instead of seven dollars, then uh, the gummy bears are going to get a lot more bought. Like they they've got to understand at some point, even when people are freely throwing their money at the blackjack table or wherever else, that they get up there and see a item they normally buy that is so marked up they just get mad and don't want to do it and and uh, I, I've always felt that way about a lot of things that uh, hotels have or uh, like I, I always thought that about pay-per-view now, nowadays pay-per-view is more reasonable but you know back in the 80s like you you could rent the movies for like a dollar or two dollars and, and yet you'd go to a hotel with pay-per-view that it was like uh, seven dollars or, or ten dollars and you're right. like, like, who would do this? Like, like, yes, there's some people who are so bored or, or businessmen that can charge their business. But I, I always felt that if they made that more reasonable or even even uh, in the past home 
cable systems where pay-per-view was too expensive. It just felt if you bring the price down a little bit, it'll be very appealing to, for people to get, whereas you get a big backlash from people who just don't want to pay the prices that are just glaringly high. So I think, I think that kind of happened on PokerStars here, that they, they thought they were being reasonable by, by bringing prices equivalent to other sites, not realizing that grinders knew that other sites having softer games... Uh, made them a lot more appealing when there's no longer savings on rake. So PokerStars no longer had enough upside to grinders without a lower rake. So uh, they brought it back down. They recognized it fairly quickly. Props to PokerStars for that. And, uh, you know, if they don't want to own up to being dumbasses, that's fine. This isn't really, you know, who cares who wins the argument? It's important that the rake just came back down. So uh, Let's go to the next topic, another PokerStars topic. Last PokerStars topic. The spin and goes, which have been very unpopular with the grinders because they are basically impossible to beat long term unless you get really lucky and hit one of the big jackpots. It, it basically takes so much additional rake to pay for the big jackpots that uh, a tiny percentage of people make huge money and everybody else, even the really good players, will not win. This was proven mathematically by uh, analysis done by angry grinders. Well, the spin-and-go has definitely achieved a PR victory because they decided that $10,000 was not enough. $25,000 was not enough. For those of you that don't know, a spin-and-go is just like a sit-and-go. It's a three-man sit-and-go, except uh, they pay you two-thirds of what you would normally expect to be paid under most circumstances. But if you get lucky... And this is where the spinning comes in. A little wheel spins, and you get uh, it tells you what your payout is. And if it's mul- it may have a multiplier on it that can be multiplying your payment really high to where for a very small investment you can win a three man sit and go, and then win a huge payout. Well, they decided, hey, why stop there? Why not have a really huge payout on a spin and go tournament that will excite people? It'll happen very very infrequently. But we have so many of them running, it will actually happen after not too long of a time. So it'll be almost impossible to hit this as an individual, but uh, someone will hit this, and then we'll be able to get some a lot of uh, PR out of it. Well, like uh, a moth to the, the flame here, I'm covering it for them and giving them free publicity. So uh, PokerStars owes me here. But they, they had a spin-and-go to where the top prize, if you're lucky enough to be chosen for it, would be... One million dollars. I'm not even kidding. That's what it was. One million dollars. And it finally happened. A Russian won the spin and go, and he got a million dollars as a prize. Second and third place got 100000 each. So it was a $1.2 million pool. How much did they pay... To enter this spin and go, five bucks. So they all entered for five bucks. First place got a million. Second and third each got a hundred thousand dollars. Pretty damn good. Uh, none of these were known players who got it. The winner of the million was Russian. I don't know the nationality of the other two. Uh, now tell me if you know this. In the spin and goes, does it tell you what your prize is going to be before or after it's over? Before. before. What happens is as soon as the table comes up. Um, because you don't see these as standard sit-and-goes. Like, there's no lobby where you see, oh, there's two guys in, I'll be the third. It's just one box is the buying amount, and one box is 
click here to buy in. So you can't see anything going on. So, But I guess they are running so frequently. Basically, as soon as you click, you know, $5, buy in, then the table comes up, you're seated, the wheel spins, and it says what the top prize is. And typically, uh, it's just winner takes all. This is only, you only get the second and third thing, I guess, with this uh, million. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I knew about that part. But yeah, thanks, thanks for the rest of it. I didn't know that. So, okay, uh, that's interesting. So, I mean, think about the pressure there. You you sit down for a $5 spin and go. Obviously, you're not a high-limit poker player if you're doing that. And <laughs> then you get the news that you're playing for a million bucks out of three people. It's not like playing for a million bucks with a thousand people. You've you got three people there, and now it's a million or a hundred thousand. That's a pretty uh, – I mean they're, – They're also all turbos. Yeah. So you, yeah, uh, tough. <laughs> you get 500 chips and, you know, the starting blinds. Are so, so you pretty much got to sit so. there and unless the player's a total fish, you just got to kind of sit there and take it, whatever the cards give you. Yeah. You just basically have to hope you run better for a million dollars. That'd be stressful. Why but, would that be stressful? Especially because it's not like you're, it's not like you're a high limit tournament player who's like, oh, I'll have another shot to win a million. No, you're going to, this is no. like your one shot in life to ever get this. Wow. All right. Well, Poker stars, uh, they've got to be happy about the publicity we're getting from this, and uh, Spin and Go has been a success despite the objections from the grinders who don't like them. I have an update for you. I have an update for a very interesting update. Well, maybe not interesting for you. You don't like this topic, but uh, <laughs> uh, a Bitcoin update. Oh. Bitcoin has shockingly risen up to 300... No, 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 it hasn't. Bitcoin has fallen to around $205 as we've been doing the show. Must be all the bad pub from uh, PFA. Yeah, I think what happened is... I I think all the Bitcoin people were listening to this broadcast and they heard me me tell them the truth. They heard me tell them that this is never going to go up, that that the the fad is over. Uh, Basically, I think when I played... I think as soon as I played that, they're like, crap, the game is over. It's, I'm selling. I'm getting out. Yeah. That's it. it. What? Daredevil doesn't care about this? No, fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, our, the one saving grace is that uh, this co-host from Canada, I thought I thought at least he'd be like the total type of guy who'd be into this. No, he, he hates Bitcoin. I, screw this. He has no interest. I, yeah, he doesn't want it on the show. <laughs> I'm selling. I'm out. $205. And we've been doing this show. It was like 222 when we started the show. It's it's collapsed during the show. Wow! Yeah, uh, it's it's it'll probably be under two hundred tomorrow. I mean, I, I'm wondering what's going to happen when it. When, I'm just waiting for it to like slip under two, and then is it going to be? Oh wow, it's under two. We got to buy in. Is it going to jump back up, or is it going to be? Like, like, what if I wake up tomorrow and it's like a hundred? It's not important. I mean, at the rate we're going, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it just fell from 220 to 205 and uh, 222 to 205 or so, like it did that during this show. Yeah. Wow. So I, I couldn't believe what I saw there. Okay. So uh, Gabo Boy has a new blog. I brought this up on the forum and uh, of course, immediately uh, certain trolls had to attack me that uh, I'm just trying to make fun of him, but I'm not. I'm, I, I'm promoting Gabo Boy's blog. This is Jimmy Fricky. And I, I'm promoting it the way he would want to promote it because he, uh, Gobbo Boy is a, a self-effacing fat guy. Gobbo Boy is, is very overweight, but he doesn't make a secret of it. He makes it part of his identity. 
And and while he acknowledges for health reasons it would be better if, if he lost the weight, I guess, I guess he has some uh, – yeah, he's explained before he has some glandular problems that, that cause his weight to be who, – who cares? It doesn't matter. But the, the point is he doesn't hide that he's fat. And so he decides if he's going to start a blog, he might as well acknowledge that he's a fat guy and, and uh, maybe get hits because of it. So he started a blog called Jimmy Eats Vegas. You know, he lives in Las Vegas, and the tagline is Grow Fatter With Me. And it's a food review blog. He started it in 2015, January 10th. It's a very new blog. And, uh, and I've met Jimmy before. He's a nice guy. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if there's anyone to take advice from as far as uh, food, it'd probably be uh, Jimmy Fricky. So I mean, go, go check out his blog here. It's uh, JimmyEatsVegas.com. I get nothing out of promoting this at all, and I, I, there's nothing even commercial on the blog that he makes money from. But uh, I, I guess he's just uh, – he's he posted on Poker Fraud Alert about this, and he said the reason he's starting this is because he feels the strip on Vegas gets all the credit for having the food. But he thinks there's a lot of good – off-strip restaurants that never get uh, any kind of publicity. And also, he hates eating on the Strip because it's it's full of tourists and it's hard to get reservations and it's gotten really, really expensive. All this is true. So he's saying, look, I'm going to give you good places to go eat that are not full of tourists. It's going to be locals. It'll be like just going to a restaurant in any medium-sized city. Uh, But there's good restaurants out there that are not on the Strip. And... uh, so that's what this blog is going to be about. I think it's interesting. I'm going to follow it myself. And uh, the first review he has up there is for a uh, uh, Lotus of Siam. Or sorry, not Lotus. Uh, for a Chada Thai, which I guess is the competition for Lotus of Siam. So it's a Thai place, obviously. And uh, he reviews that. So check out JimmyEatsVegas.com. If you want to read about that. Yeah, I read uh, a bunch of his reviews. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. Probably use some of that advice on my next trip. So, yeah. yeah, go check it out. I probably will, too. All right. So, uh, you know, if, if Jimmy was a jerk, I wouldn't promote this. But he, he was always a nice guy. I, always, I thought he was deserving of uh, having this mentioned. All right. So uh, Unibet, a, a casino in the U.K., decided to try to pull a fast one with their advertising. And the U.K. slapped them down. The government said, uh-uh. Let me tell you what happened here. Uh, Unibet had an advertisement, uh, like for example, on uh, Facebook's sponsored posts, it said the following. Will Man City be- beat Liverpool? Join Unibet for a 20-pound risk-free bet. Hold on, let me do this again. Will Man City beat Liverpool? Join Unibet for a 20-pound risk-free bet on today's game. Manchester City vs. Liverpool, £20 risk-free bet. Open an account today, and we will cover the risk of your first bet up to £20. So, the important part is open an account today, we will cover the risk of your first bet up to £20. Also, if you Google, you will find a sponsored Google result of Unibet £20 risk-free bet. Join today and bet on football. Great odds in live betting. Well... This seems to strongly say and imply that they will cover your loss in the first 20 pounds you bet. So sign up with them, deposit 20 pounds, 
If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, they give you back the money. That's what it sounds like. We'll cover it. Basically saying your very first bet, you'll either lose or tie. No, lose or tie. Win or tie. Sorry. You can't lose. If you lose, we'll give you the money back. But that's not the truth. The truth is, and this is um, the terms and conditions, to withdraw your refunded stake, you would have to wager it six times, a.k.a. if you, uh, I'm sorry, e.g. if you give a 10-pound bonus, or if you receive a 10-pound bonus, you must wager 60 pounds to fulfill the terms. <laughs> uh, so, so basically, uh, you get your, your money back, your refund, on a lost bet. You can't just withdraw it. In order to withdraw it, you have to rebet it six more times. And if you still have the money at that point, you can withdraw it, which is totally different. Totally different. So uh, it's, of course, not mentioned in the terms, and this is not a risk-free bet. There's plenty of risk. The only way it's a risk-free bet is if you can't lose. That's the only way it's a risk-free bet. It cannot be called a risk-free bet if there's a chance of winning even one, uh, losing even one penny. Risk-free means risk-free. So the United Kingdom's Advertising Standards Authority, the ASA, did not like this. They had a judgment against Unibet that um, did not allow this. They said, Unibet explained it was not the case that six unique bets were required to be placed as part of the turnover, but rather the subsequent bet placed and with the turnover must be six times the value of the refunded stake. They stated that after the stake had been returned to the customer account as bonus, as a result of losing the first bet, the customer could use this bonus to place further bets in the turnover. They would not need to wager their own money in the turnover process. But uh, notwithstanding the ASA's assessment um, uh, on the claim risk-free bet outline issue one, we considered the requirement to place further bets at specified odds using the return bonus funds in order to withdraw the stake from the lost first bet to be a significant condition that was likely to affect the consumer's understanding of the nature of the offer. Exactly. They're saying that uh, this is a trick. You, the consumer doesn't understand this until it's too late. Such a significant condition should either have been made clear in the ads or the ads should have clearly indicated the offer was subject to a, the significant condition and directed consumers to the significant condition if the ad was limited by space. We considered this was of particular importance given the possibility that consumers might not be able to recover the stake of their first bet and therefore likely to influence their decision on whether or not to take up the offer. Exactly. Risk-free should mean risk-free, and they're basically saying it wasn't risk-free and that if people knew that, a lot of them wouldn't have done it. So uh, so basically they put the smack down on, uh, on Unibet and, uh, and told them that they can't run this anymore that they, they are not allowed to place these ads anymore. For future ads, Unibet must uh, stop using the term risk-free bet unless it completely is. And furthermore, they must, quote, make clear all material information and significant conditions of the offer, such as the requirement to place further bets at specified odds. So they're saying you, you've got to tell everything or otherwise you're not allowed to advertise anymore. So good for the UK on that one. Yeah, sounds good to me. Lou Father's asking in chat, how many drama classes did you take in high school? You know, I'm telling you, Lou Father, I don't know why you're asking me this question. Because if I took drama classes in high school, do you think I would be telling you stories of my past of being with girls instead of guys? (laughs) Come on now. I, I think it's pretty clear I'm a straight male here. Don't ask me if I took drama. I didn't take drama. 
I was going to say, uh, you know, drama classes in high school. I mean, we we are fourth right now, Todd. You sure you didn't take any? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm coming off too straight. That's expand the, gotta, the audience, I, buddy. I, maybe I've got to start uh, you know, becoming bi-curious at least. Maybe we'll move up to third. Uh, someone just posted in the chat, jail.com arrest records Christopher Coffin. So I just clicked on it. Oh, that's for... Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is that posted it, but uh, arrest record Christopher Allen Coffin, obviously the same guy. City of Las Vegas booked uh, June 18th, 2013. So not the same thing. Charges robbery, burglary, domestic battery with substantial bodily harm, conspiracy to commit criminal contempt. Hmm. And, and hold on. When, I, and when did he get fired from the Mariah? Right. That's the same month. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. And domestic battery also fits with the story. Yeah, about, about the uh, the fight or something with, uh, with the mistress. Or yeah, whatever. the mistress. Maybe that was partially true. That's so weird. Oh. Well, now I guess that. <laughs> it's all coming together now. It's all coming together now. You know, Matos is saying in chat, drama classes are a great way to meet chicks in high school. He wrote meet, M-E-A-T. That was probably on purpose. I, I hope it was. But look, uh, you're probably right. Uh, now, while drama classes, some of the girls there are uh, are also not straight. You, you, you don't have that many, I think, outright lesbians there. I think you have a lot of bisexual girls. There's, I think there's a lot of girls who still like men that are in drama, but not all that many... Men that like girls. So I think you probably – it's not as good as going to, like, art school. But I, I think uh, the more gays that are in your field, uh, if you're straight, you're going to do a lot better with women. Better off taking, like, a cooking class. I had the opposite okay. going on in computer science. That was, like, the worst. All dudes? Yeah, it was all dudes. And the few girls that were there were so arrogant. They were so arrogant. I wanted nothing to do with them because they knew. They knew, like, they, every dude wanted them. Right. So they got. I mean, it was amazing how arrogant the girls were in my computer. It's like female classes. poker players. You know, they go from a seven to a ten just because yeah. they're it, the only girl at the table. It was even worse. It was even worse. There, there was this one girl that was in uh, my computer science classes that we we had to work a lot in the computer labs on on the Sun Spark stations. There was this one girl that it was so annoying to have her there because. All the guys would come up and talk to her, and she loved it, and she would talk back to them. And it was like, it was impossible to concentrate. There's these dumb conversations going on there. I want to tell everyone to like shut up, but I, I can't because they all want to run over and talk to her. And if I tell them all to shut up, they are going to hate me. So I just right. have to like sit there and stay quiet. And, and at the same time, I can't concentrate on my work. It was the worst. I, like, I, so, I was so unhappy when I come in to do work there, and, and she was there because they wouldn't leave her alone, and she enjoyed that. Yeah, and this was the 80s, so you didn't want to hear their inane conversation about uh, her new leg warmers or <laughs> yeah. whatever was going on. And, and she, you know, she was uh, she was decent looking, but she was not. She was like super hot. She was like computer science hot, but uh, mm-hmm. but not like on an absolute basis wasn't super hot. But uh, you know, of course, an above average looking girl in computer science, especially an above average white girl in computer science, like that's just so unusual. So, uh, right, you know, it's. Uh, you know, Benjamin's mom was actually, she actually learned how to program when she was a kid. And, and she was considered going into that. And she didn't. But I'm, I'm so glad she didn't. She would have had like a million guys all over her. I would have never gotten there. Yeah, now that I think about it, I took uh, 
like C plus plus twelve when I was in grade eleven, and yeah, it was well, it was mostly Asian dudes to be honest. Yeah, but. that's what it was, mostly Asian dudes. But uh, but like you have uh, a white girl there that's like super unusual. So uh, I think it's still that way all these years later. Probably. That's that's like like the engineering fields, including computer science. That's like where they have not made any inroads toward bringing women into it. Like there's a every other field that were once male dominated have tons of women now, but, but not, not these fields. They just, they can't make it happen for whatever reason. So let's see what else we have to talk about here. Well, speaking of programming, you want to get into your editorial or? Oh yeah, I I guess, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of Benjamin's mom, she hasn't, uh, she hasn't said, Hey, it's late. She hasn't said, Hey, you know, come up here and get uh, Benjamin to sleep. Hasn't I, I think maybe they, they're all asleep. Either that, or she'll be pissed when I, I come out, and it's way, it's way <laughs> after ten o'clock. Waiting, but building up. but I, I have an excuse though because I haven't done the show in so long. Okay, let's let's do the editorial. Let's say where it's the last thing, so let's do it. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. by the way, has made a recovery. It's uh, now a whopping two hundred nine dollars. So maybe we are seeing some people trying to buy it, thinking. I mean, I, I think buying a two hundred five is like the worst because, like, why not wait to see what happens if it hits two? But yeah, I think it, when it does get under two, you'll see a, a small run because people will think to get in, and then. Nothing will happen for a while, and then it'll eventually yeah, it'll crash. Yeah, so I think you may have to get under two twice. Like you have to get under two, go back up, get back under two, and then everyone's going to be depressed and it's going to go down. Right. Okay. So let me talk about anonymous. This is my editorial, and and I'm going to preface this with that I was in the hacker community at one point. I'm not anymore. I haven't in a very long time. But at one point in the '80s, uh, I was part of the telephone and computer hacking communities and uh, very into that very into that in fact I'll, I'll go as far to, as far to tell you that uh, several of my early sexual encounters were directly or indirectly related to and now now I'm getting the text from from Jen's mom Uh-oh. oh boy okay so Okay. Wrap it up. I gotta wrap it up. So let me quick quickly say this here. Let me quickly say this here before I get uh, someone barging in angry at me. All right. So the, the uh, and the reason why, by the way, that uh, is because Ben stays up very late, and then he'll stay up later than his mom, and then she has to go to work the next day. So I see. That's why. That's why I can't do these shows till like midnight anymore. But uh, back in those days, hacking was about one of two things. It was either about like curiosity, getting access to things and information that uh, you otherwise couldn't or learning how certain systems work or just uh, you know, getting into things that you're shut out of, just the thrill of it, but not to actually do any damage with it, just to do it for the thrill of that. And then the secondary reason is sometimes for uh, personal gain of some sorts, uh, usually to be able to use some sort of service that otherwise wouldn't be available to you that you couldn't afford, such as making free long-distance calls, uh, such as being able to get on the Internet, uh, you know, the early version of the Internet back then, and uh, wherever else. You know, like the, it was one of those two things, you know, access to vo- having your own voicemail box for free, things like that. Uh, so that's why people were in the hacking community Back in those days. I'll tell you what it was not. It was not political at all. At all. Nobody cared about politics. If they did, they didn't involve it with their hacking. 
It had nothing to do with each other. There was no one ever targeted politicians that they didn't like. No one ever targeted uh, politically related groups they didn't like, or uh, they didn't get involved with social issues. Hackers didn't do that. It w- it wasn't compatible. It wasn't the same thing. It was apples and oranges. That's not why you got involved in hacking. That's not why you joined hacker groups. Now, while I understand that things change, that the times change, that this isn't the 1980s anymore, the group Anonymous, the hacker group Anonymous, has gotten a lot of press recently in the last few years, and uh, they call themselves hacktivists. They, they use their ability to break into computer systems and uh, take over people's accounts, what have you, bring down websites, to uh, reward or punish those that they agree or disagree with, usually punish. And I never liked this. I never liked seeing this. They, they were supporting the Occupy movement. Uh, they, they were trying to uh, go after corporations that they just didn't like. Uh, I didn't like seeing this because uh, th- that's not really what it should be about. If they really want to use their talents for something useful and that would be more compatible with the hacker culture, it would be use it to expose malfeasance on the por- part of corporations or politicians. If you can hack into something or someone's accounts and prove wrongdoing that otherwise would not have been exposed had you not hacked there, then you've done a good thing. Then even though you broke the law to do it, you may have exposed a bigger law being broken. Much like a, uh, uh, there, there was a story I read a while ago in the news where a guy broke into a house to burglarize it, and while he was burglarizing it, found pictures and videotapes of the owner of the house molesting young children. Well, at that point, he went to the police. And he admitted he broke into the house and showed what he found. At this point, you have to say, well, uh, the greater good prevailed. That, uh, yes, it was crappy that this guy broke into a house, but uh, his crime of burglarizing a house wasn't as bad as the guy who owned the house molesting little children, so it's actually good that this happened. So um, I have to say that if Anonymous was using their talents to expose things that were being done by corporations or politicians that were corrupt and then made it available to the public, I think that would be a very good and noble thing for them to do. And in fact, it would start to scare some of these politicians or corporations to act better and and uh, know that their secrets can be exposed at any time in this increasingly digital age. But that's not what they do. That's not what they do. Instead, they just target groups or corporations or politicians they don't like and just go after them maliciously. And that's, that's not really uh, activism. That's like cyberbullying. But most recently, Anonymous really made themselves look stupid by going after, by saying that they're going to take vengeance upon the terrorists. Which terrorists? We're talking about Islamic terrorists. That Anonymous has decided that they don't like anonymous terrorists and they're going to do something about it. (laughs) This was after the Charlie Hebdo tragedy where terrorists burst into the building of the satirical magazine and killed 12 people, which is a big tragedy. But 
We've had so many Islamic terrorist-related tragedies over the years, including, of course, the huge one, the biggest one, 9-11, which was uh, 13 and a half years ago. So somehow Anonymous thought that 9-11 wasn't a big deal. At that point, the Islamic terrorists were not their enemy. But kill 12 people at a satirical magazine, and now they've got to come after the terrorists. Now, I understand the point they're trying to make, that they're going after them now because they see this as an assault on free speech. Whereas, you know, bombing, uh, whereas running planes into buildings wasn't really to silence free speech, but just to uh, hurt the West in general and uh, the West's uh, political policies and foreign policies. But it's still terrorism. It's still killing innocent people. How can they say this Charlie Hebdo attack is, is, is the huge deal that they've got to get involved in where, where 9-11 wasn't, where all the other terrorist attacks since then were not, where all the terrorist attacks before then were not. But somehow now they've got to get out, go after them. Now, the worst part was anonymous. What could they do to a terrorist? How can anonymous hurt a terrorist? Is a, is a terrorist really uh, conducting his actions online? Well, unless it's a cyber terrorist, no. So what can, a, what can anonymous do to a terrorist? Well, they say, we're going to find your social media accounts and websites and shut them down and take them over. Well, you may say, okay, that's good. Okay, that's good. You know, any help we can get is good. And so if Anonymous wants to help out, why not? Well, that's a bad thing. The government is just as capable of taking over the social media accounts belonging to terrorists or websites belonging to terrorists as Anonymous is. In fact, they're more capable because they have the legal authority to do so. But the reason they don't do so in many cases is because they want them to stay up so they can grab information from them, so they can see who's visiting the websites, who's communicating through the websites, who's using the social media accounts, uh, who they trace back to, what information is being exchanged back and forth. If Anonymous interrupts this and takes them over, well, that ruins everything. Now you don't get the information anymore. So they're actually going to be hurting the cause, not helping it. The bottom line is Anonymous, they're overstepping uh, really what they are. They're a hacker group. That's it. It's a loosely formed hacker group. It's not even like a close-knit group of friends. This is a hacker group, a loose hacker group. And I think the problem is here that these are people who are largely not kids they're older. Some of them are my age. There are some younger ones too, but there's a lot of them that are older. And these people in Anonymous are not typically successful in life. They're not financially successful. A lot of times they're not successful uh, with their personal life. They're not married. They don't have children. They, they, they live a, a pretty mundane existence outside of their computer activities. And this gives them the feeling of power when they can influence things, especially when they're they're actions make it onto the news, especially when people fear and respect them. This gives them an immense feeling of power. And this starts to make them believe they have more power than they actually do to where they really think that now they're going to take on the terrorists. Now they're going to join the war against the terrorists. But not by helping the government, but by doing it on their own and making things worse, not better. I really hope Anonymous one day wakes up from this, stops being so political, stops acting like the cyber bullies, and stops believing that they can stop terrorists, and goes back to their roots and goes back to really what they can do best. And that is expose corruption, expose malfeasance, 
embarrass those that are doing the wrong thing and make people feel and make corporations feel that if you're doing something you're not supposed to that will hurt the people of the United States, that it will be found out even if you think the data containing your misdeeds is secure. Now that would be something good for this country. Not shutting down terrorist websites or the threat of doing so. So that's all I've got tonight. Well, interesting editorial, Todd. Uh, I just want to say I love Anonymous and everything they do. And uh, those are the views of Todd Metellus. Okay, so so <laughs> Daredevil is saying, Anonymous, please don't hack me. Leave me, leave so. me, leave me alone. They, 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 you're great. Uh, go after this guy. Wonderful people. They can't say enough about it. <laughs> okay, so long show tonight. Yeah, but, I apologize. My voice is not great. That sounds fine to me. So, uh, Daredevil, thank you for coming along here. This would have been a hard show for me to do by myself for the 17 topics we covered here. And I appreciate you helping out on this one. And and also, you you fill in a lot of blanks. A lot of times I I don't know something or don't have the full details of something. And then I ask you if you know, and bang, it's like right there. There you go. It's very, very useful. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, usually I have to say, hey, okay, chat room, what do you guys know about this? Chat room, like, hello, Bueller, Bueller. And then the chat room sometimes tells me they sometimes don't. So this this makes the show flow a lot better. We'll be back next week at around 6.30 p.m. Pacific time on January 20th, 2015. And uh, I... A lot of topics this week. I have a feeling we'll have less to talk about next week, but that's just as well. This is pretty overwhelming to talk about 17 different things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel tired, but uh, I didn't quite go 3-0. and It came close. Dallas won by 4. I needed 6. A little bit off from 3-0. and I went 2-1. and I guess it's okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, all right, people. Uh, I... I I've said so much, I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Like, I, I've got to fill one more minute here, and I don't know what to say. Oh, by the way, somebody posted a link to that guy I talked to in the chat, the marketing guy from Breakout, if anybody wants to oh. check him out. He actually did an interview with Galvin Air yesterday, apparently. Uh, who is it? Do you know his name? Oh, Quick, before the music's over. Uh, I reloaded we... the chat, I can't find it. Uh, we, can, we can't keep talking after the music, it's not allowed. Yeah, uh, I'll get in trouble if I do it. All right, you people. Shutting this down. About four and a half hours almost show. I think I've talked enough. I think I've said enough. And we'll be back next week. As usual, Daredevil welcome whenever he likes. And good night. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs>